And it is 7.30 here on the West Coast. It is a Saturday night, November the 13th, year 2010. I'm Ron Hughes. I hope you're doing well. And let's say our prayer first. Dear Lord, thank you for the station, for the upcoming auction. Look after Bill, Kim, and Beth, and everybody relating to the station. We ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Okay, I'm going to call Patricia, and then look at our special guest on the line. Here we go. Radio stations have birthdays like everybody else. And today we are celebrating ours, the 40th anniversary of broadcasting, entertainment, news, sports, and information to the people of the Pacific Coast from San Francisco. It was in 1922 that KNBC, then known as KPO, began program service. Many famous entertainers and many historic events were beamed out over the airways during our 40 years of broadcasting. In 1951, when the NBC radio network was celebrating its 25th anniversary, the then popular comedy team of Fibber McGee and Molly did a special broadcast that eavesdropped on some of the great shows of radio. Since then, Molly Jordan has passed on and Fibber is living in retirement in Encino, California. Twelve years have slipped by since Fibber McGee and Molly's 25th anniversary salute to NBC, and that broadcast is in itself a collector's item. Tonight is one of the highlights of KNBC's 40th anniversary celebration. We will revive that famous broadcast of Fibber McGee and Molly, during which you will hear the voices of Joe Penner, Fred Allen, Ben Burney, W.C. Fields, Edgar Bergen, and Charlie McCarthy, and many, many other favorites from out of the past, starring Fibber McGee and Molly. Our Silver Jubilee, the 25th birthday of the National Broadcasting Company. Like any birthday, the birthday of NBC is a time for reflection and recollection. Were you listening to Ed Wynn at 9.30 on a Tuesday night in 1932? At 7 o'clock on a Wednesday evening in 1929, were you listening to Amos and Andy? Or were you listening to Rudy Valley's Great Variety Show at 8 o'clock on a Thursday evening in 1934? Ah, these were great moments in the history of NBC, and ordinarily it would be impossible to relive them. But we are fortunate in having had with us for the past 20 years a man to whom nothing is impossible. I refer, of course, to the resident of 79 Wistful Vista, Molly's husband, Fibber McGee. As we look in on the McGee's, Fibber is tinkering with his old 1926 Super Heterodyne radio set. He is, in fact, known as the biggest tinker in radio. Mrs. McGee makes a fairly safe statement. She says, It'll never work, McGee. What do you mean, it'll never work? My gosh, Molly. Let me get this straight again. Huh? You claim that you can fix this radio set so it'll tune in programs that were broadcast 20 years ago? 25 years ago, even. I'm rewiring it so I can tune it to different years instead of different stations, you see? No, I don't. Well, look, Tootsie, according to the McGee theory of radio Dianetics, which I'm the guy that thought it up, I claim that when you hear a broadcast once, that ain't necessarily the end of it, see? It don't just disappear. In other words, old radio programs never die. <laughs> I know one that dies every Tuesday night. Well, that ain't what I mean. I mean that they're still out there, bouncing around in the air, waiting for somebody to tune them in again. And I'm the guy that can do it. What's our congressman's phone number? Why? Well, if there isn't a law against that, I'll help him write one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you change your mind when I get this baby working, Molly. We'll make a few more adjustments here. 
if the king bolt tightened up a little bit. I'll be ready to try it. And... You want to buy a duck? No, I'm not interested in any poultry, bud. I'm trying to... Hey, who said that? Why, I don't know, McGee. There's nobody here but us. Oh, gonna turn off the radio, will you, Molly, while I work on this? Radio? Hey, the radio. It's working. You hear it, Molly? It works. Hush, listen. My goodness, it sounds like New Year's Eve, McGee. I wonder where that... Boy, is. oh boy, I told you I could make it work and... You and here we are. And hello, Patricia. Hello, Walden, and welcome to another Saturday. Golly, these weeks are just going zip, zip, zip. But tonight, we've got something special. We do? Are you ready? We did not announce this last week because we didn't know if we were going to be able to have our guest this week. So this is a surprise for everybody except Walden and me. We are going to be talking with Bill Bragg, our boss. Bill Bragg, who owns the station, who runs Yesterday USA, who would not, um, I hope, surrender the station <laughs> under any circumstances. And uh, we get a chance to talk with him tonight. So, welcome, Bill Bragg. Hello there. Hi, guys. How are my two favorite people? You, uh, well, for tonight, we're your two favorite people. And then when you talk with the rest of the DJs, they have to be your favorite people. <laughs> Actually, you're so right. Uh, you know, it. Uh, it's just like children. You don't uh, you don't pick out a favorite, not at all. Even if you have one. <laughs> That's right. They're all special. They're, They're all, all one special. of a kind, and you couldn't do without any of them. Well, Walton and I are working very hard to be your favorites. Well, you know, I'll tell you, you guys are doing such a great job, and I'm so proud of you. I, I'm, pr I'm proud of everyone at, at the station. And, you know, people ask me sometimes, well, you, you know, you ever get a little jealous, you know, if the other guys... Uh, get a little bit more popular than you or or maybe uh, become a little bit more well-known. Not at all. Not at all. Because, uh, you know, I couldn't be happier. I couldn't be happier. And uh, really, when I started Yesterday USA, the thing that I worried about the most was that uh, there was going to be too much Bill Bragg. And I just wondered and I asked myself, you know, who uh, gave you the right to make all the decisions, to decide everything that would be played? And I wanted to take as much of Bill Bragg out of the equation as I possibly could because I felt I'd done enough by conceiving the idea and putting it together and uh, building the hardware portion of it. So I wanted to, uh, to kind of sit back and let other people uh, have a hand in this because every other radio station is uh, usually uh, bossed, controlled, uh, programmed, whatever the word is, by one single person. And I always thought, you know, why do you have a program director at a radio station uh, to boss all the DJs around? I mean, you should just be able to put out a memo of do this, do that, play this format, don't do this. And then if these people are good enough, you should be able to walk away and let them do their job. And for me to sit here and make all the decisions about what we're going to play, which shows, which music, which what, whatever, I, I think it's, uh, it's an injustice to the, uh, to the listeners. And I think it's an in insult to uh, those who are uh, working their hearts out to do this. 
and One for me to come along and try to tell you guys step by step, uh, song by song, program by program, what to do. I might as well come down here and do it myself. One of the best management principles is you get the best and most creative work from people when you tell them what you need to have done. You don't tell them how to do it. Exactly. And it sounds like that's what you're telling us. That's right. That's right. Cool. And, and with all of you guys, and there's probably pretty close to about 50, the numbers change a little bit from time to time, but um, there's about um, uh, 40 to 50 of you guys that are making the decisions. And that's what's so special about Yesterday USA. That does not happen at the big stations. That does not happen at the older stations. It doesn't happen at the other stations. There's somewhere there's a boss, a program director, who's making all the decisions. And he leaves a, uh, you know, he leaves a, a recipe book and then goes away. And it's up to the staff to follow the recipe and to bake a cake. And that way they can only be as good as the recipe. And it takes all the creativity out of it. Your gang is baking some pretty nifty cakes. They um, are, and they're doing it on their own because yeah. they're not looking at my recipe book. They're looking at their recipe book. They're looking at their grandmother's recipe book. They're looking at their Aunt Mildred's recipe book. And the result of all of that is a wonderful, wonderful mixture that uh, is not available your, anywhere else. I want to talk about your grandmother's recipe book because you've got some really neat growing up memories and stories. Tell me what. Tell me where you grew up and what your hometown was like when you were growing up. Well, the first city I remember is Dallas, and Richardson, of course, borders Dallas. Mm -hmm. So I've always lived here in this town, and I remember living at 6042 Belmont Street in Dallas. And uh, it was, um, I drove by there the other day. The house is still there. It's been remodeled somewhat. And it was about um, two and a half blocks from the A&P store. And right behind us was a, a little church. And they had a big oak tree. And underneath that big oak tree was a sand pile. And so I used to go across the alley and play in the sand pile at the church. And then when it was time to go to the grocery store, I don't know what mother was thinking about, but she let me ride my tricycle to the grocery store. And we'd walk together down the sidewalk, and she'd help me across the street. And we had about three blocks, and we'd get down to the A&P store. And Mr. Shockley was the manager of the A&P store. And he was such a wonderful man. I always knew that I would grow up someday and he would be the one to give me my first job. And I would ride my tricycle up and down the aisles of the A&P store. <laughs> I'm surprised that Mr. Shockley let me do that. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> and uh, it, I, mean, I remember uh, I used to sit up, sometimes I would sit up at the front of the, uh, the grocery store, and that's when they sold the little golden books. They were 25 cents each. And I would look through the golden books. Mother would always usually buy me something. And most of the time it was a golden book. And I would sit there and there was Tom Corbett's Space Cadet. I remember that one. And uh, Toodles the Train was another one. 
and the pokey little puppy. And those were such wonderful illustrated books. And I'd pick those out, and I picked them out for a special reason. It was because of my mother. My mother had the most wonderful, happy, lilting voice you ever want to you ever want to hear. And I was so lucky to have her to read to me. And she could read with such emotion and such excitement. And I would take those, I'd pick those books out with the idea in mind that Mother would be reading those to me. And she would read them over and over and over. And I never tired of those same books. And I remember my mother uh, taught me an early, early lesson. I remember, my, my memory goes back really early. And, and I remember my first bed was, uh, was my baby bed. And I remember laying in my baby bed. And I, uh, I grew so big that I kicked out the end of my baby bed one night. And <laughs> the whole thing uh, fell down. And mother and dad put it back together and gave me a whipping. And it was held together with scotch tape, <laughs> literally with scotch tape. And I remember one time sitting in that, in that baby bed, and I had a book, a big, big old picture book. And I was tearing the pages out one by one. And Mother came in the room and saw what I was doing. And she says, oh, my goodness, you're hurting your book friends. And that made such a, an impression on me. I never, ever harmed a book, folded down uh, the corner of a page, uh, wrote in a book ever, ever again. She taught me to respect books, and I never, I can still hear her voice to this day, Bill, you're hurting your book friends, and I have never hurt another book friend after that. Well, you just made a lot of friends with that comment. Um, there are a lot of us out here who get hives when we see dog ears and pencil marks and scribbles in books, so you just made me smile. <laughs> That's a, that's a good thing because you have such a, a beautiful smile. I've never, if I met you on the street, passed you on the street, uh, Patricia, I, I, I'd walk right by because I, I've never seen you. I don't know what you look like. But I know that smile because I can hear that smile. I can't see it, but I can hear it in your voice. Well, and it's so, so wonderful neat. and so special. Playing with... Um the Saturday Night Gang coming out to play is something to smile about. We're having such a great time on Saturday nights, and uh, we're just delighted that, that you're here with us. Now, you mentioned kicking out the bottom of your bed because you were growing so tall. Right. Uh, there just, tell, you know, there was just how, a not, not enough room. Tell people how tall you are. I am six foot five with, um, w with no shoes on. No and no hat on, and no. with my hair wet and no pressed down tight against my head. No Had some monsters. socks and usually boots, if not shoes, and uh, oftentimes a hat. And uh, I'm, I'm especially my uh, my big cowboy hat that I wear during the the state fair as I do the voice of Big Tex. You add that to my boots, 
and I'm right at seven feet tall. You're you're a pretty imposing critter when <laughs> when you put on the entire regalia. I grew up with tall people. My dad was six foot five, so I understand when you're telling me about great height. Uh, I I have an understanding of what you're talking about. Now you had some. You're talking about some really vivid memories from your growing up years. And your mom taught you a couple of things, and you've talked about your dad a couple of times. As parents, what did they instill in you that you still bring with you today? I think um, uh, they instilled the truth because they always told the truth. I never, ever worried about anything mother or dad told me, you know, not being the truth. Uh, I'm, I'm sure there's there's children who have grown up and, Understanding and knowing at an early age that not every single thing they heard from their parents or their friends or their brothers or their sisters wasn't the truth. I mean, uh, they they realized that um, some of those things that were said to them were not the truth. And I had no brothers, I had no sisters, and I had a mother and a father that I didn't, there was a lot of things I didn't have to worry about. That's such a nice thing to hear because there are a lot of kids who worry about the truth because they know they haven't been told the truth 100% of the time, which makes everything suspect 100% of the time. And you're telling me that didn't happen with you. No, I could depend on my parents. I always could depend on, <clears throat> depend on them no matter what they told me or no matter what they did. And... They always put me first. They always put me first. You know, I've heard people talk about how their parents would go to the grocery store and buy cookies or candy and and hide it uh, to keep it away from the kids. And then they'd eat it or they'd take a bite of it. Bill always came first in my home. I always never, I, never, I had no brothers, no sisters to, to, uh, to fight over or to, to fight with or, or to, uh, to be a rival in any way. So it was very relaxing because I knew that, you know, that I was going to get the last cookie. I knew that I was going to get the last slice of mom's apple pie. And that was, I mean, it was a very comforting and relaxing atmosphere. And I, and I knew that they watched out for me. I never, I never did think at all that, um, uh, you know, that I was on my own. I always knew I had good friends in high places, and that was my mom and dad. That is so cool. Tell me what Dallas was like when you were growing up. Well, it's an interesting story. In fact, I, I want to go back for a moment uh, to that baby bed that I kicked the, <laughs> the end off of. I, I remember uh, when I was a kid, we, uh, we'd, uh, we'd go up and see my Aunt Lula and Uncle Roy. And as a matter of fact, yesterday I spoke with their granddaughter, my second cousin, uh, Patricia. Her name, I, I called her sister, still do to this day. And she's going to be with us uh, the night of the auction. And I've told her this story many times. But um, Aunt Lula and Uncle Roy, uh, Uncle Roy was, um, 
was a mechanic, automobile mechanic, and then he was the uh, chief maintenance man for the Veterans Hospital in McKinney, Texas, and this was a gigantic hospital. And and to be the uh, the man who kept this hospital running uh, meant that he was a very very smart man, and he taught me a lot of things about fixing how to fix things, how to take care of things, how to take things apart and put them back together again and make them work. And I remember he added a room on uh, to their house. And when he did, they put in a fluorescent light. All of our lights were, you know, just light bulbs, uh, incandescent light bulbs. And uh, But Uncle Roy and Aunt Lula put in a uh, fluorescent light. And I never will forget, I'd turn that on. And fluorescent lights don't do this as much uh, nowadays as they used to when I was a kid. But you turn a fluorescent light on, and nothing would happen for a minute. And then it would, you'd hear this little blink, blink, blink. Finally, it would come on, and it was a, a warm, soft light. But you always had that blinking, flashing. Uh, it took a minute for it to get started. And I woke up in the middle of the night in that little baby bed, and it was a terrible lightning storm. And I mean, the lightning was flashing, and it would just come daylight for a moment, and then go dark again, and then another flash of lightning. And just like that fluorescent light. And I looked around, and I said, well, now I know how it gets to be morning in the world. You know, it's just like that fluorescent light in Aunt Lula and Uncle Roy's house. Yeah. You know, it it was, it was it, all that lightning was just like what went on with that fluorescent light. So I assumed, I rolled over and went back to sleep, and I assumed that that's how... It got light every morning. That was that God or someone flipped the switch on that fluorescent sun up in the sky, and it had to flicker a couple of times before it came on. Oh, that is so cute. I love that story. I just want to remind people we're talking with Bill Bragg. Uh, Bill is Walden's boss and my boss on Saturday nights. Walden gets him as his boss a lot during the week, but I only get him as a boss on Saturday nights when I come out to play with Walden. And if you have some questions for Bill or some comments, please give us a call at 714-545-2071. Bill is the owner and operator and one-man boss of Yesterday USA, and I'm just so pleased that you're with us tonight, Bill. Thank you, thank you. Substitute founder for boss. Okay, well... How about um, that? Well, you can't be my founder. <laughs> you, you have to be the person I am responsible to, because if I do something bad, you're going to hear about it. <laughs> yes, you're you so are. very kind. Oh, well, to answer your question, what was Dallas like uh -huh. in those days? You know, I had a um, uh, an interesting uh, childhood because of my uh, parents' line of work. Remember when you'd go... Um, to school the first day and they'd ask you, you know, what's your name and what's your hobby and what does your mommy do and what does your daddy do? And of course, when uh, I was asked those questions, well, I had an interesting answer. I said, um, I said, my, uh, my mother uh, works for a church and my daddy uh, makes drugs and runs a nightclub. 
<laughs> that was that was my that that's that's who I was, and uh, mother worked for 37 years at the First United Methodist Church in Dallas, Texas. It was a downtown church. In those days, it was the tenth largest church in Methodism, and um, uh, I remember uh, mother talking. She was the um, secretary to five Methodist preachers who later became bishops. Wow. She was kind of a, uh, she was kind of the preacher's lucky charm. If Dorothy Bragg was your secretary, uh, you'd probably end up being a Methodist bishop. Seemed to be the way it worked. And uh, during the, um, during the day, uh, Dad worked uh, at a pharmaceutical company. It was called First Texas Pharmaceutical. Actually, it started out as First Texas Chemical Company, and they made uh, medications for horses, cows, and uh, dogs, and some stuff for people. And then they moved on over and uh, concentrated uh, mostly on uh, medicine for humans. And he did that for 48 years he was in the pharmaceutical business. And he was also a workaholic, and he'd come home at night and and he always had a garden, planted a beautiful garden. And uh, he'd come home and uh, mess around in his garden, uh, pick off the cutworms off of the tomato plants, and uh, pick the beans and the okra. And uh, I remember seeing him carry buckets of water. Uh, he'd carry a bucket of water with a cup. And he'd walk up the row of his tomato plants. And he'd pour a cup of water at the base of every tomato plant until he ran out of water, and then he'd lay his cup down so he could remember his place, and he'd go back and fill up his water bucket, come back up and pick up his cup and continue on. And uh, then he'd eat his supper, and then he'd go to the nightclub. It was a place called Lou Ann's, and it was a first-class joint. I mean, it was a first-class joint. And um, all the big-name stars, Daddy had all of them there. Guy Lombardo, I used to sit at the table with Guy Lombardo, used to sell popcorn, and uh, Les Elgard, and, and um, uh, the Dorseys were there. From, uh, uh, Jimmy Dorsey was there a couple of times, I know. And um, uh, any any big bang band name you could think of was there. And then when big band era left and rock and roll started, well, they started booking uh, rock and roll guests. And... Uh, I remember Bo Diddley was there one night, Chubby Checker, and Fats Domino, and Roy Arbison, Bruce Chanel, and uh, I used to stand in, uh, at the stage behind them and uh, watch them as they were getting ready to go on and then watch them from behind. I got tired of, you know, sitting out in front and watching them. I wanted to get up and see what it was like to stand on the edge of the stage and and look over their shoulder and look into the audience. What was the best act you ever saw there? I guess um, I'd say it probably was Guy Lombardo because the band was so big and the, and the audience reacted so well to him. I enjoyed Roy Arbison. I remember one time Roy Arbison was signing autographs and, and uh, he uh, finished with everybody. He looked over at me. He knew, he, he knew who I was. And he said, did you want an autograph? I said, no, because he was always there. I mean, he was seemed like he was always underfoot 
I'll get an autograph another time. Well, I fooled around and never got my Roy Orbison autograph. But uh, it taught me um, it taught me how to uh, uh, how to stand before an audience and 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 how to to entertain and to talk and to speak. And then my mother's great wit and her wonderful delivery, uh, you know that uh, that added to my ability to speak. So the the smoothness, the sound, the flow, all of that came from mother. And then what to do when I got out there and how to handle the crowd. Well, that came from what I picked up when I was with, with Daddy. Wow. I remember Trini Lopez used to come out all the time. And uh, it, was, it, was, it was a wonderful uh, way to grow up. Now, and, I uh, laughed when you said Mom worked for a church and Dad ran a nightclub. And I thought you were joshing me because... You were talking as a little kid when the teachers asked you about that, and it just seemed so incongruous, um, you know, having having church side by side with a nightclub. And you were serious about this, and you just described a wonderful background for me. Right, right, absolutely. And it, and it was it was a first class joint. Uh, the the Swiners used to have all of their parties there, and uh, uh, it was uh, the the best bands were there. And there was no monkey business. Uh, Daddy never allowed any monkey business at all going on. I mean, if um, uh, you, you if you didn't if you the guys if they didn't treat the ladies with respect, uh, they were sent home. Uh, and if the ladies weren't being ladies, they were asked to leave. And uh, it was uh, it was an interesting place. Uh, they had living quarters upstairs. And, uh, sometimes I'd uh, I'd go up there and and. Uh, Go to sleep in the uh, in the bedroom. Uh, the uh, one of the other ladies had a couple of children. They were up there. We used to go up there and play in the um, in the living quarters. And, uh, you know, if I if I didn't like um, if I didn't like the act, well, I'd just go upstairs and lay down. Uh, but most of the time, I stayed downstairs because I liked the act. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, in those days, that was that was so weird. When I was six, eight, nine, ten years old, fifteen years old, you know, I liked big band music. Uh, I didn't like rock and roll, and uh, I really, you know, I really, uh, really respected and enjoyed uh, the music that that took a lot of uh, expertise to to create. I, I didn't realize it at the time, but I, I, I'm, I was somehow aware that these people had a gift and that they had talent. And that they had worked and practiced to hone that talent, and that's how they got to be so good. And there were, and there were others that would come out there who had no talent, or who had not worked on it, or practiced as they should, and consequently were not as good as they could have been. So I learned to recognize those kinds of things that's at an early did you, age. Did you ever pick up an instrument? Did you ever want to play an instrument yourself? I did, yes. What did I you do? Um, I used to watch Lawrence Welk, and I was amazed at Myron Florin and his accordion. Uh-huh. And I told Daddy, I said, "That's what I want to learn how to play." And we never quite knew how I was going to learn to play the accordion, but that was one of our goals: that one of these days I would learn how to play the accordion, and. One day our telephone acted up, 
and the telephone man came to work on it. And Mother started talking to him, and one thing led to another. Come to find out, guess what he did in, in his off time? He taught accordion. So we made arrangements, and I took accordion for about three, four years. And uh, I enjoyed every minute of it. And it was a real blessing uh, for me and, um, and to my, my grandfather, my dad's father. I had a grandfather on my dad's side and a grandmother on my mother's side. Never had a, a full set, just, you know, one of each on each side. Mm-hmm. And my uh, grandfather lived up in Louisville, and my uh, grandmother lived in Denison. And um, my granddad was, uh, was very old in those years and was very sick and ill. And I'd walk in the door, we'd walk in the door, and first thing he'd do is his hands would start going back and forth uh, as he was mimicking an accordion. Uh, and then uh, Daddy would look, he'd look up, and here would come Daddy with a suitcase that contained the accordion. And I'd sit down and I'd play all the songs that I knew and play them over and over and over again for my grandfather. And he'd pat his foot and clap his hands. And that was about the only time I ever saw him smile. Oh, wow. Because he was so sick. Yeah. And so old in those days. So it turned out to be a real blessing for him. Nothing really ever came of it in my life. I took a year of piano. I took a, a year of uh, the Hammond organ. And I took uh, about six months of violin. Got pretty good on violin. Uh, but nothing really ever became of it. But I did learn how to read music and how to understand music. And so uh, I think it has helped me all these years in picking out good music and having appreciation for good music. That is amazing. I had no idea. I recall that you mentioned the accordion a couple of times on the live show, but I don't recall you ever talking about the other instruments. Right. And um, not a whole lot came of it. I, I enjoyed the uh, I enjoyed the piano, and I still can play a little bit, not much. And uh, and I enjoyed uh, the accordion. And I enjoyed the the violin too. I remember sure my like the song that I played a lot was was called Jacob's Ladder. Uh huh. And my teacher used to tell me, he said, nobody plays Jacob's Ladder better than you. Oh, how neat! And, that uh, is neat. And it, and I and, and I really wish that I had uh, had stayed with that, and 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 learned how to to be a really good. I'd like to learn to to be a fiddle player, not a violin player, but a a good fiddle player. An honest to goodness country fiddle player yes. with, uh, with a country band. We're talking with Bill Bragg, the founder of Yesterday USA, Walden's boss, my boss, the person who runs the operation. And I'm so happy that you you've got an and we've got the opportunity to have you and that you have the time to do this. We're at seven one four five four five two zero seven one. Give us a call, have a question for Bill, a comment for Bill, just anything at all. We know you're out there, and if you want to give a call, that's cool. I know a lot of times we have people call later and say, ah, we didn't want to interrupt. Please interrupt. Give us a call, 714-545-2071. Bill, if you had to compare yesterday's Dallas that you grew up with and today's Dallas, how would you describe it? Wow, let me think. There's been so many changes. 
I remember the Dr. Pepper plant was here in Dallas, and they had a big, tall, it was an Art Deco building, and they had a big, tall spire on the top, and it had a clock. And the only numbers on it were, there were three of them, 10, 2, and 4. That was their advertising gimmick. That's when you were supposed to drink a Dr. Pepper. Oh, how cool. And uh, that's what the clock had on it. And I remember I could lay in bed at night and look out the window and see the clock on the Dr. Pepper plant. And nowadays, I mean, the place has grown up so much. If the building were still there, there's, I think you, I guess you'd have to get a, a helicopter and, and go up a couple of hundred feet to be able to, to see things. But it was so easy to get to places and to do things. And, and everyone was so friendly and so helpful. You could pull in a gas station, and you know, if you had a low tire, I mean, they'd literally assault the car. And not only would they check that tire, they'd check all, all three of the others in the spare, if you'd let them. And uh, it, was just, it, was, it was just a different mindset. But the people today are still as nice and wonderful as they were then. But it's just a, a, a different perspective. And I don't know really that Dallas has changed a lot. And when Kim and I uh, were married and she moved down here, that was the big thing that she just couldn't understand, uh, how clean the area was. There was no trash, no litter. And how nice everyone was. And how you could put up Christmas decorations without worrying that someone would tear them down or steal them. And... Uh, and 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 another thing that amazes Kim to this day, she will go into the grocery store, and they will remember her, call her by name, and if Mama Bet is not with her, they'll say, "Where's Where's your grandmother?" And uh, I think really about the only way Dallas has changed is uh, is its size and its wonderful. Sporting teams, the Cowboys and the Mavericks, and um, the beautiful buildings. I think it's really just gotten better. But that friendliness, that trust, that ease of moving around from point A to point B is, uh, is still very evident and very much a part of uh, everyone's life every day who lives in Dallas. If the Dallas Chamber of Commerce doesn't scap you up and put them on, put you on their team, they're crazy. <laughs> uh, really, uh, you absolutely love Dallas. Tell me, uh, when when you were going through school, were you introduced to the field of communications at all, or was that something that happened later? That really didn't happen uh, until I was probably in uh, uh, junior high and high school. Now what I what I did, did I did it on my own, really. Uh, I realized at a very young age that I wanted to be on the radio, and I built a little DJ booth in my bedroom, and uh, it consisted of two turntables and a battery-operated tape recorder, and I would record commercials off of the radio, and uh, and then edit them so that I had a, uh, a, a nice 
reel of tape with nothing but commercials one after another and a clean ending and a clean beginning on each one of them. And I would sit there, and I had a microphone, of course, and I would in my headphones, and I built a, a little uh, mixer uh, so that I could uh, do what Walden does. Didn't do it as well as he does, but I, I had a, a lot of fun at it, and I would sit there in the room, and I would um, introduce my record, and then I would start it. I used to slip start records like they did in those days. And, uh, slip starting means the turntable is actually turning. You lower the needle down onto the record, and as uh, soon as the first note comes in, you put your finger on the record and let the turntable slide beneath it, and then re reverse it about a quarter of a turn, and you just had to hold it there. And uh, that's when you gave your station announcement and told everyone who you were, and then you'd say, and now it's time for Jerry Lee Lewis and Great Balls of Fire. And he'd let, uh, let loose the record and it would start up. And when the record was over with, well, I'd roll my tape recorder and play a commercial that I had recorded off of the air. And I even made a, an on-air light out of a cigar box. I took the lid off of a cigar box, and we had some red um, uh, paper that, uh, that you could uh, see through. And so I mounted a light inside it, covered it, and stretched that red paper over it. And then I got some black stick-on letters and that said on air, and I hung that up behind me. Somewhere I think I've got a picture of that in my scrapbook somewhere. And uh, that's what I used to do. And boy, I'd get so mad at mother and dad when they'd come in because the door squeaked. They'd come <laughs> in and the door would squeak and it would get on the microphone. I'd jump on daddy and say, don't do that. Don't you? You're messing up my show. And so he said, okay. So what he would do is he'd hang out outside the door and then he would knock on the door because he didn't want the squeak. I said, well, Dad, you know, squeak, knock, either yeah. one of those I want to hear. Yeah. Either one is just as bad. And that's where I, uh, I learned uh, about being on the air and then fixing stuff. I had been a tinkerer since day one, and I took electric shop in high school, and uh, I did go to a, a trade school uh, to learn and get my license. And I had a first-class radio telephone operator's license, which was a, the doctoral degree of broadcasting in those days. And uh, that's kind of where it all began. Did anyone mentor you along the way, Bill? Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Ron Chapman, <laughs> uh, who was uh, Irving Harrigan, Charlie and Harrigan here in Dallas, Ron Chapman was, was one that I patterned myself after and uh, tried to be like him. And uh, he's still around today. I saw him not too long ago. And he's he's an icon in this area. Did you ever have an opportunity to work with him? No, I never did. I never did. Uh, I always admired him and copied him from afar. That's amazing. We're talking with Bill Bragg, who is the founder of Yesterday USA, which our folks listen to every Saturday night. We have a whole family out there, a Saturday night family for Walden and Patricia, and we're just so happy that they're out there. Please give Bill a call at 714-545-2071 with a question, a comment, a hi, 
anything you like. Bill is here for you and for us tonight. Bill, this, this was in high school. Now you're talking junior and senior year in high school. What happened after high school that got you into media and communications? Well, the me- media and communications and my love for it is the reason that I do not have uh, a degree from a college. My dad um, said, you're going to go to SMU. We were Methodists, of course. Mother worked in the Methodist Church for 37 years. and They were going to send me to uh, to uh, Southern Methodist University, and I was going to be a, a college graduate. And then uh, KTVT, uh, which was in Fort Worth at the time, decided to build a studio in Dallas, a satellite studio, so that they could broadcast uh, part of the time from Dallas and the rest of the time from Fort Worth. And they built that television station about a half a mile from my house. And I thought, boy, oh boy, you know, what luck is this? <laughs> They're going to build a television station right close to me. And so I went there and watched them build it. I watched them build it. I'd go by there three, four times a week. And then I started learning who the bosses were because they would be coming over from Fort Worth to inspect the work and sign off on it. And I made up my mind I was going to be the first one they hired. And I was. I warned them and I warned them and I stayed after them. And they said, you know, I guess the only way we're going to get rid of this guy is to hire him. (laughs) And they did. And I stayed there for two and a half years until I got uh, the uh, opportunity for me for a lifetime uh, to go to work for the CBS affiliate. Uh, KTVT in those days was was independent. It was the largest and finest independent television station in the United States, owned by Bing Crosby uh, for a time. Not, not while I was there. And um, uh, the big CBS affiliate was KRLD-TV. It's now KDFW-TV. And uh, so I uh, had the, the opportunity to go down there. And uh, I remember I think I tripled my salary when I went from KTVT to KRLD. And I was so excited about it. And then... That's where I began freelancing for CBS. And, doing doing and, what, Bill? Uh, I was usually, when I worked for CBS, I was usually a cameraman. Sometimes I was an audio man. Sometimes I was the audio assist. And some of the shows that I did were the Cowboy Games. And uh, we, uh, I know we did, uh, gosh, we did about 15 uh, Ted Mack Amateur Hours for CBS. Ted Mack and his whole crew uh, came down to Texas, and we did those shows uh, right there at 400 North Griffin Street. And the announcer was Dwight Weiss, who used to be the announcer on so many radio shows and on Search for Tomorrow. <laughs> and I remember um, Ted Mack uh, came out and warmed up the audience and and then he said, um, now I'm going to turn it over to my announcer. And um, my announcer can say only three words, and you'll know who he is. So I just won't even introduce him. And he'd step away and went back to the back to prepare for the show. 
And Dwight Weiss stepped up to the microphone and said, This is Search for Tomorrow. And I mean the whole walls just came in about six inches as all the ladies in the audience went, <gasps> Because, I mean, he was, he, was, he was the main man for Search for Tomorrow. And Search for Tomorrow was really a hot soap opera in those days. And uh, I used to work with the guys that would come down from CBS would always, they'd send guys down to work the critical positions. And, um, uh, and then uh, we filled in uh, with local guys. And, and we became part of the CBS television network when we were working for them. And uh, they would, uh, uh, they'd come down, and, and it was the same guys that ran. A, I remember Artie Shine used to come down and do a lot of audio work. And, uh, and Chick Galino was another one. And Artie Shine, for example, he was the audio man on uh, uh, Ed Sullivan. And he'd, he'd come down and tell us these wonderful Ed Sullivan stories about how he was having to do this when Elvis was there, and how he did, and we had to do this, and we had to do that, and we had to roll quarter-inch tape, and, and this, that, or the other, and how difficult it was when Elvis was on, and when the Beatles were on, and then all the big stars, of course, anyone who was anyone was on the Ed Sullivan show. And uh, so you'd, uh, you'd work with those guys. And uh, there was a there was a guy named Joey. I can't remember Joey's last name. He came out of CBS Florida, and he used to do the um, Jackie Gleason show. And he looked a lot like Jackie Gleason. <laughs> and he was about Jackie Gleason's size, and he had it down perfect. I mean, he could he could walk the walk. You remember how Jackie Gleason, you know, would would do that lumbering walk, I have and then seen he would that, come yeah. up to a to a person or a uh, or a prop, you know, and then he would do the hoochie-coochie, that, you know, how he'd go back and forth, and that hoochie-coochie thing he did. Well, Joey could do that better than, I think Jackie Gleason must have learned it from Joey. <laughs> and it was always such a treat uh, to work with those guys and uh, and hear the stories. There was a guy named uh, Eddie Brinkman that used to come down and, and uh, work the floor. Uh, when we do the show, that was called the floor director. We call it working the floor. He's the guy that that um, directed or, or communicated directly with the director, and and he was he he had he had the director in one ear, and he had the talent in his other ear, and so he was the guy that made it happen, made people made sure that people got out from behind stage and on stage uh, at the right place at the right time, and. Uh, he did that for Ed Sullivan, and he'd uh, he'd tell uh, Ed Sullivan stories, and uh, it was uh, it was so neat to work with those guys. And, and there was another one named uh, Locke Wallace, and he used to um, he was the floor man for uh, Walter Cronkite. And when these guys would go back home, you know, you'd watch the credits, and you'd see the names of all these people. And for us, we knew who they were. Everyone else, they were just names of, mm -hmm. of people from somewhere that did something. No one really knew, but I, I knew these guys. I knew where they lived. I knew their wives' names. And uh, so we uh, did Eisenhower's funeral. Never will forget that. Eisenhower's funeral. I was the closest one uh, to the um, podium. And, uh, man, there was, uh, I'm trying to remember who all was there. I think there were about four. The president, of course, was there. And there was about, uh, I think there was three past presidents that were also in the audience. Uh, 
And in those days, the cameras were so big and heavy, and uh, the camera cable uh, weighed um, weighed uh, much of that stuff. Weighed, it was uh, weighed about a pound a foot, I think. Wow! And it was as big around as a as a water hose, and had a hundred wires inside it. And we put out a mile of that. And uh, we this was the last place, uh, the final stopping point, where President. Um, Eisenhower was buried. He was buried in Abilene, Kansas. There was a church that they had built there, and underneath the floor of the church was where the um, tomb was for the president. And there was a the president's uh, had lost a child, and the child was already buried there. And so it was. I remember, remember when um, we were getting ready to. We were up there about about five days, I think, before the the funeral, getting ready for everything. And um, they had uh, gone into this church and had opened the marble floor. And, of course, the um, burial place of the son, uh, the child, was visible for the first time, of course. And uh, so it was very heavily guarded. And not, uh, not, not just only a few people could go in there. And so... We went in there to put the microphone in there because there was going to be a uh, a prayer that would be said uh, as the final thing of the funeral. And so we had to have a microphone set up and had it tested out so that uh, the person conducting the service uh, could stand there and, and, and do the final portion of the funeral. And so we they had big military guards. It was the Fifth Army were the ones that were running everything. And uh, they had a a couple of MPs standing there with, with what looked like machine guns. And um, and so the audio man walked up to them and they said, who goes there? And he gave his name and audio man. And, and uh, then I came up and, and said, who goes there? And um, I gave them my name, uh, audio assist. They said, go, go ahead and pass. And then our boss was right behind us. They said, who goes there? His name was Buck Tally, and Buck Tally, big Buck boy, he was tough and wasn't afraid of anybody. And he said, "Who goes there?" He says, "Their boss." <laughs> and, and the guard said, "Wait here." Oh, oh and Buck got so mad because they would not let Buck in, and so Bob Jacobs and I went in there and um, did what we had to do, and uh, the boss stayed out. And stood on one foot and then the other till we got out, and boy, was he mad. That is a funny story. I mean, it's a it's a poignant story about the president, but to have that cap it, <laughs> that was fun. Yeah, it was it was really neat, and they um, they had um, uh, ro- they roped off the entire area. They must have had five or ten miles of rope, and um, they had um, big long stakes with uh, with eyes in them, circles in the top of them. Mm-hmm. And they would um, stick those in the ground, and then the uh, other soldiers would come along with the rope, and they would thread it through these openings, through the eye, like, like the eye of a needle. Mm-hmm. And so they went all the way up and down the roads and the sidewalks and everything to keep people off the grass, because there was people from all over the world who were there, uh, representing the media and the army, and I mean, it was it was an amazing thing. 
and you were only permitted to do audio inside the church. Were you allowed to do video outside? Yes, and then later my job was to run the camera by the podium. Uh-huh. And, um, and I know I, I was up on a scaffold, uh, uh, like they use when they build buildings. And it was about, uh, they, they made it about three stories tall. I had to climb <laughs> up there. And then, of course, we had to get up there on top with ropes and a, and a block and tackle and, and pull the camera up, you know, tie the camera uh, with ropes, make a harness for it, and then pull uh-huh. it up at one piece at a time and then assemble it up there and then drop another rope down and pull the camera cable up and plug it in. And I stood up there for hours on end watching those soldiers because I first thought it was a, I thought it was a load of sand looking at it from a distance, but what it was, it was that pile of rope. And those soldiers, they worked half a day getting all the knots and tangles out of that rope. And I never will forget, I said, well, I bet they're going to be careful when they roll that thing back up again so it doesn't get knotted up. And sure enough, when it, when it was over with, they just came out with, with the tractors, and they just scooped it up and threw it in the back of a truck, and it was all messed up again. I don't know what they ever did with all that rope. It must have been five miles of rope. Oh, my gosh. That is a great story. Now, this is still when you were at C- CBS. You cut right, your uh-huh. CBS. Right. What happened between CBS and Yesterday USA? Well, that's a good question. Uh, I got uh, I got cancer, colon cancer, and um, I don't know. I may have died on the operating table. Something happened on the operating table. I don't know what, but either I woke up or I died. But um, I was in intensive care for two weeks, and when I got out of that, uh, I was strong enough to eat a popsicle if someone would hold it for me. And so then I stayed in the hospital for, uh, after, after two weeks in intensive care, then I was well enough to go down and stay another two weeks in the regular hospital. And then I was well enough to go home and have a nurse to come three times a day. Uh, to tend to my wound because um, uh, I had uh, I had ruptured and uh, peritonitis had set in and uh, that's that'll kill you and it'll kill you quick and that's when your own poisons uh, that's when you poison yourself if you will it's about the nicest way you can say it and uh, so they were unable to uh, to close the wound uh, because it was so infected and so bad and so I had to have a nurse come uh, three times a day uh, to treat my open wound. And it took me uh, roughly about nine months to get well enough to go back to work. And I had a colostomy, if you know what that is. And if you don't, mm-hmm. well, I won't bother you with the details. Just say no to it if you have one, anyone ever offers you one, because they ain't fun. And uh, so I went back to work with a colostomy and um, uh, then uh, when I got well enough they took me back to the hospital and they undid it and hooked me up and made me normal again and it took another year to get over that and uh, that's when uh, I left uh, Channel 4 and uh, went to uh, uh, my next job and uh, I was uh, trying to think um, uh, the order of which I did things. Um, 
when we uh, when we were in Austin one time, it was the opening of the LBJ Library, and um, President Johnson was there, and Walter Cronkite was there, and uh, uh, Dan was yeah Dan rather was there. No, Mike Wallace, uh, Walter Cronkite, Mike Wallace was there, and um, and of course President Johnson was there. And they were just finishing up the library, and we did this opening um, for for see it was a sixty minute show, and it was the opening of the LBJ Library, and then we went back uh, two weeks later for the actual grand opening of the LBJ Library, and um, so we were there, and uh, I had the microphone and I handed it to President Johnson, and uh, when he was done with it, he handed it back. And so we were gathering up all of our equipment. Yes, says, hurry up, Bragg, hurry up. Let's get going here. We want to go out and have some beer and eat a hamburger. And I said, well, just a minute, I'm hurrying. I said, go ahead, put the microphone back in the box. I said, well, if I do that, it'll get mixed up with all the other microphones. They all looked, we all had the same kind of microphones. We all used the same make and model. They all looked alike. So I said, if I do that, they'll get mixed. it'll get mixed up with the others, and I won't know who which one the president used. They said, well, who cares? Oh, gee. And I said, well, I care. They said, what do you care for? I said, well, you know, when a president signs a bill into law, uh, they, they save that pen because it, it becomes a historical instrument because it's what makes the law real. It's what the president uses to make the law real. And they hand those out as souvenirs to celebrities and politicians who made it possible for that bill to become law. And I said, here we have a microphone that the President of the United States used to communicate a message. And you want me to put it in the box with all the others? It'll get mixed up and we'll never know which one it was. We'll never know which microphone he used to say what he said. They said, Brang, you know, you need to get a life. It's getting dark, and the beer's getting hot. Come on. And so I did. And I don't know what happened to that microphone. I have no idea. And it so touched me that I wrote a poem called The Day I Bought Lyndon a Coke. And if I can remember a little bit of it, uh, it goes something like this. Uh, how does it go? Let's see. It was at the LBJ Library about uh, uh, just before the opening, I think about a week. There were still lots of things to do, and down in the basement there was a big water leak. And then it happened. The President of the United States walked in, and he cried out, I'm thirsty. Get me a Coke. Well, everything was so big. In fact, I'm, I'm, I'll tell you what. Hold on just a second here. I think I might have that. Okay, I think I've got that poem. With, we're right talking here. with Bill Bragg, who is the founder of Yesterday USA.
they had an, an apartment upstairs uh, and on the very top floor. And there was a, uh, Miss Johnson had a, had her uh, rock and flower and cactus garden up there. And you could stand up there on the top of the building and you had the most beautiful view of the Austin Capitol Dome, the Austin, the capital of Texas, and you can just see that beautiful dome. The, the uh, dome of the, of the capital of Texas is a little bit taller than the dome of our nation's capital. A lot of oh people my. don't know that. And looks very much like it, too. Um, most all capitals look about the same. But the Texas capital is actually a little bit taller than the nation's capital. And so we'd, um, when we uh, took over the station, uh, we'd go down there and get on the roof and stand, have our announcer stand up there, and we could position the, the dome of the Capitol right over his shoulder, and it made a wonderful place to do a stand-up. And we'd go down there uh, when uh, during election times and cover the, uh, the election results. And uh, Lady Bird Johnson uh, was, was uh, still living there at the time, and uh, we'd be up there on the roof, and you'd see the elevator light come on, and here would come the Secret Service guy. And he'd look at us, and by that time he knew who we were, and he'd say, okay, boys, I'm bringing her up. Get over there in the corner and get out of the way. And we would. Pretty soon the doors would open, and out would walk Mrs. Johnson. And uh, she'd always speak, and usually she'd say, now, boys, be careful with my flowers. Don't be stepping on my flowers. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. We won't do that at all. And so uh, I had another opportunity to uh, to meet her. And then when they finally sold the penthouse, then we started using that area as our Austin News Bureau. It was Channel 4 in Dallas's Austin News Bureau. And it was the former penthouse uh, of President Johnson. And uh, I'd go in there and there was a kitchen and a, a bedroom and a large um, living room with a beautiful mural on the wall. And uh, we just set up tables in there, and we did our work inside their, their, what had been their living quarters. And um, so uh, I, uh, it was really a special place. And so when I um, founded the museum, mainly because I wanted to preserve things like the microphone that President Johnson had used, and I made a promise to myself that that those kind of artifacts were not going to get away from me ever again. So I founded the museum, $25 and a good idea, and uh, went on to become the largest of its kind in the world. When we moved from downtown Dallas to the movie studios out in Irving, it took 21 moving vans to move it all away. You didn't mention what this museum is, Bill, or what? It is the, uh, was the National Museum of Communications, and we had 21 moving vans that included everything. I had the camera that broadcast the assassination of Lee Harvey Oswald. Walter Cronkite gave me his last micro, the microphone he used on his last CBS Evening News broadcast, Ed Asner's wristwatch, Bill Haley's guitar, Buddy Holly's guitar, Bill Haley's performing wardrobe, uh, Buddy Holly's had Buddy Holly's sweater. Uh, gosh, the list goes on and on. And um, uh, so I needed money to run this museum. 
And so I sent a copy of that poem to Miss Johnson, along with a request for money. And uh, Mrs. Johnson gave gave me several thousand, I'll just say several thousand dollars, and I'll leave it at that, to establish the museum. And uh, the museum uh, did very well. But I got to thinking, wouldn't it be nice if I could find a way to take this museum to everyone who's not able to travel to Dallas and see it? And that's when I started something that later became Yesterday USA. And we broadcasted old-time radio shows and told people about the museum. And that was the beginning of Yesterday USA some 28 years ago. Bill, how did you begin with old-time radio? Well, I wanted This whole time that we've been talking, you're talking about modern communications. Where did old-time radio come from? Well, I wanted to do something that no one else was doing. And everyone had just put old-time radio away. They said, you know, that's just not happening anymore. Rock and roll is here to stay. And and it was just put away, and no one was enjoying it. And we had tons of it there in the museum. And uh, that's where I really began to, to love it and enjoy listening to it. And so I decided, well, I can't, you know, I can't take the artifacts, the physical artifacts, to the people, but I can certainly take the programming to the people. And that's what I started doing with Yesterday USA, was to take the history of radio to people who would not be able to visit the museum and see it for themselves. And then when I had the cancer, well, I was unable to continue the day-to-day operation of the museum, So I separated myself from the museum uh, and was able to maintain the rights to uh, continue to be the voice of the museum, and that's when I founded Yesterday USA. And it moved here to my home in Plymouth Rock Drive, Richardson, Texas, 750-81-USA, an address I've given a million times or more. And uh, that's when um, I began... I missed the museum, so I decided to build one in the house. And so to answer that question, uh, what's the house like? Well, we have an amusement park train ride that runs through the house. And uh, it's big enough for 12 kids or six adults to ride on. It goes uh, through about uh, 175 foot of track, travels about um, uh, seven miles an hour, goes through a tunnel, and uh, then we have display areas, and that's where I have Bill Haley's guitar and his performing wardrobe. I have uh, Kenny Gardner's performing wardrobe from the uh, Guy Lombardo Orchestra, Bill Mack's wardrobe, Jamie Fricky's wardrobe, Ronald McDonald's shoes, <laughs> Willie Nelson's head bandana, uh, I had uh, the uh, microscope that belonged to Thomas Edison, uh, have a, a portion of the rock upon which Jesus Christ was born. He was born in the uh, the uh, Church of the Nativity, and uh, many years ago they were forced to do some work there where there was it was necessary to remove some of the rocks uh, around there. And 
so they broke it up into little pieces and sent it all over the world. And one of the persons who was given a portion of that rock uh, donated it uh, to me. So I have a portion of the rock upon which Jesus Christ was born, if you believe the Bible. And um, uh, everything, CBS banners from the shows that I've done, pictures, uh, gold records, uh, and everything else that's neat. There's some 5,000 die-cast automobiles. Uh, there's the radio station itself. There's a general store, 1920s general store. The interior portion of it with merchandise. There's a, an, an external uh, view of it in another, in another part of the house. So you, it looks like the, the front of it. So you can go there and it looks like you're standing outside. And then you can go inside and see all the merchandise. There's even cartons of cigarettes, cigars, and aspirins, and bottles of toothpaste, Hershey candy bars from the 1950s, and those famous old wrappers that don't have barcodes on them. And uh, then there's a two-window post office, which is what I'm sitting behind right now, uh, because on the back side where the postman was standing, Lovely little slots to put the mail in, and there's brass doors on the other side. But these little slots are just wonderful. They're perfect size for audio cassettes. <laughs> so there's no mail, only audio cassettes. <laughs> and then there's the um, mobile gas station with a pump, an air dispenser, an oil uh, dispenser. And then there's something. I've tried to get everything you need for a town. So there's a fire plug in the house. There's a parking meter in the house. Uh, there's a couple of uh, speakers from a uh, drive-in movie. Remember those drive-in speakers you'd put on the car and roll the window down a little bit and hook them on the glass of the window? Uh -huh. And uh, remember the Sonic? When you drive into Sonic and you push the button, read the menu board and order? I've got oh. a menu board from Sonic. Oh, gee. And um, uh, everything that I ever thought was neat, I tried to get one of them. And there's a when the Dallas Times Herald uh, went to, we had two papers, the Dallas Times Herald and the Dallas Morning News. The Dallas Times Herald died. I got copies of the last days, and I stopped at the corner, and I just helped myself to a newspaper rack. They weren't going to need them anymore. They were going to throw them in the trash. So I just picked it up and put it in the truck and brought it home. And I, of course, I had friends at the Times Herald. They gave me one of those canvas bags that, and the canvas bag the paper boy would wear over his shoulder, uh -huh. fill him up with the newspapers. And I have the last, uh, you know, I have vintage copy, uh, complete, unopened copies of the Dallas Times Herald on the last day that they were in business. So, um, and then there's some 5,000 diecast automobiles, and then Kim's uh, got a wonderful collection of Laudro, which is fine china figurines. And then I have, um, uh, I collect miniature phonographs and jukeboxes. You know, you always see these little jukeboxes. They have radios in them, eight-track players. Got a couple of them for the auction, as a matter of fact. So I've got, um, I guess, one of every one of those that I could ever find that was was made. And, and I never bought it to um, to make money off of. I bought it because I liked it. If it goes up in value, I win. If it doesn't, I had a good time playing with it. Here's, here's the question of the century. All right. You got a 
don't have any <laughs> favorites. Answer. I love it all. What are your two favorite collections? What is my favorite thing in the collection? Yeah. Oh, gosh. You can have two, two favorites. Gosh, I, there, you know, I don't know. I don't know what my favorite thing is. You know, I love them all. I, um, Does it change I, from probably some of my toys uh, that I had when I was a child. Uh-huh. Does it change from day to day, Bill? Do I say that again? Does, does it change from day to day? So if I ask you tomorrow, it might be a different thing? Possibly. It could, yeah, yeah, it could. That's interesting. I, I just, you know, I, I'm big or small, I love them all. <laughs> that is so cute. I have, uh, we're coming close on, on the wire with the time that I told you I would gobble up for you tonight, but I do have a couple of questions. Okay. Um, over the years, with Yesterday USA, one of the things that you have done is hundreds of interviews with people whose names we recognize, people whose names we don't recognize, but we recognize their work. Who are the three most memorable? Just pop right up with their names. Oh, I'd say uh, it would have to be James Arnaz would be one of them. And um, I think probably the, the, the most fun night I had was when I got uh, Buddy Epson and Fess Parker together. And, you know, they worked together uh, back uh, during the days of uh, Davy Crockett. Davy Crockett, uh, yeah. Fess Parker was, of course, Davy Crockett. And um, uh, his sidekick, George, Georgie Allen, is that what Georgie, what's George's last name? I don't, I don't know. Well, I think it was Georgie Allen, was played by uh, Buddy Epson mm-hmm. before the Beverly Hillbillies. And... Uh, I, uh, that's great. It was uh, it was the easiest interview I've ever done because I said, we are, our guests tonight are Buddy Epson and Fess Parker. And they hadn't talked together to one another, not one that they were mad or anything. They just had never bothered to sit down and kind of chat and reminisce uh, since they had worked together. And so uh, I said, uh, Fess, say hello to, to Buddy. Buddy, say hello to Fess. And I think that's the last thing I said that night. <laughs> And they just sat back and reminisced. And uh, a lot of these great interviews, um, I have Walden to thank. It wouldn't have happened without his knowledge and his expertise and his contacts. How did you and Walden get together? Walden was uh, was was uh, uh, was like all the others. Was someone who called me up and said, "I like old time radio. I'd like to be a part of the station." And uh, I said, let's go for it. And one thing led to another. And the more that I worked with Walden, the more I knew him, uh, the more I loved him, and the more I respected him. And I said, uh, here's a guy that uh, doesn't doesn't need any uh, guidance from me. He can do it himself. If I can keep the radio station on, Walden can make it interesting. And that's kind of the way it works. You know, I, uh, I, I, uh, I don't sit around and eavesdrop and take notes and, and have meetings later and scold people for doing the wrong things. You know, if they can't handle the job, they, they won't get it in the first place. And if they're able to, to get the job, then I'm going to let them do it. And uh, that's been the policy that we've worked all these years. And... Uh, I let them, I, I establish a format, 
and a few basic rules, and then I step aside and let them do it. Just like I'm fixing to do right now. I'm fixing <laughs> to step aside and go up, and Kim and I are going to watch a movie, and then I've got to get up at probably 4.30 in the morning and get uh, the Sunday programs ready for in the morning. Wow. Before I go to bed tonight, I'm going to say a little prayer that come Monday, the mailbox and the front porch will be full of items for the Yesterday USA auction. That's it's my the question. last Sunday night of November, and that's the uh, 28th. We'll be here beginning at 4.30 p.m. Eastern Time. We're asking everybody to do two things. Number one, buy something and send it in for the auction. And then be here the last Sunday night of November, 10.30 p.m., and uh, buy one thing back. And the uh, week before the auction, the Sunday night before the auction, that'll be the 21st, two hours before you guys go on the air that night. Uh, we will be here, and uh, Kim and I will be going over every item that we have. We'll be taking phone calls and answering questions. And this is very important that we do this and that we have this auction and that it be a success. Because if we don't, the time will come when we cannot continue because the contributions that we get, we appreciate those very much, but they're not enough to cover the cost of operating this station. And uh, uh, we have a deficit every single month. And we deal with that deficit by using the proceeds from auctions of past years. We've tried to be good stewards with uh, the donations that have come to this station. No one ever has or ever will receive a salary or make anything whatsoever from their participation or their work at Yesterday USA. It's 100% volunteer. And if we don't get enough money to cover that deficit, this coming Sunday, the last Sunday night of November, the 28th, then that will that will start that will start the ball rolling down a hill that we might not be able to recover from. So a word to the wise should be sufficient. We're not asking anyone to jump on the sinking ship. Nobody wants to do that. We're asking you to do a little bit of bailing for us. You know, a little bit of bailing gets some of that water out of here because it's just like a ship that's. It's got water coming in. As long as you can bail out and keep up with it, you're okay. And that's what we're auctions, trying to do here. How many auctions have gone by now, Bill? What number? Oh, my be? goodness. I'm thinking about 10 or 15 anyway. So this has been a major support feature for the station. And every year, if I recall conversations correctly, every year... People who call in with bids and come home with really wonderful items have actually pumped in enough dollars to keep the station afloat. Absolutely. Correct? We have so, a safety account, and, uh, and, uh, and we have maintained that safety account, and we want to do that. But here lately, we've been drawing from it. And every time that I we have to go in, I say, how much... How much, Kim, how much were the contributions this month? And she'll tell me. And then I say, how much are we going to have to take out of the safety account? It's not are we or will we, it's just how much. Uh -huh. 
And we can't continue to do that. And it just boggles my mind sometimes. I wonder why we even have to have an auction. Because it's all free, there's no commercial, and it's the greatest programming in the world and the finest talent uh, of any other radio network anywhere in the world. Why in the world are we having to waste any time or any worry over raising money to keep going? I don't know why that is, but it has always been the case. And uh, we've always relied on this auction, and we're going to do that this year. And uh, if we do not get the money, then it's going to be the beginning of what could spell the end for this network, because we cannot continue to go on. And over the years, I have I have made up the shortfall for my salary many times, many, many more times than I even remember. And that cannot happen any longer because I do not have a job. And in my advanced age, I don't know who's going to hire me. You know, um, the work that I get nowadays is the kind of work I'm doing right now, and that is telling stories. And uh, we get a little bit here and there, but uh, my salary is is none. I have no salary, no regular salary, only the freelance work that I do. And so I have put away enough money for Kim and I to live on. <clears throat> and uh, I'm sad to say that there's not enough money to keep the station on as I have done so in the past. So I'm going to have to run it as I should have been running it all along. It's going to have to somehow pay for itself. Walden and I have been putting this in positive terms that... Uh, people who show up and take a look at the items that are offered in the auction are launching into their first foray of Christmas shopping because there are some really nifty items that come in each year. Oh, it, it amazes me. You know, everything, things... from, everything from stocking stuffers to the family car, for goodness sake. Oh, yes. <laughs> it's just incredible. And there's so many wonderful homemade items, uh-huh. craft items. And uh, Chad in Nebraska, I had no idea that this man was was uh, musically talented. He is a musician of the first order. I did not know that until I received some of the, his CDs that he's donated. And, of course, our friend Ron in Hawaii uh-huh. is just, I mean, just take your breath away with his gorgeous piano playing, and I can't wait to listen uh, to Chad's CD, and we're going to have some of those uh, to be auctioned off. And thousands of radio shows and uh, some beautiful uh, quilts, Afghans, stuffed animals. Lucille up in uh, Staten Island has, uh, is such a talented person. Oh, she's she made these beautiful pictures. stuffed animals. She sent me pictures of them, and they are adorable. Yes, and you'll see those on my Facebook page and very soon in Yesterday USA. The Facebook page can be Easily found by coming to yesterdayusa.com, looking in the gray box, and click where it says uh, Bill Bragg on Facebook. And you'll see those pictures. Cliff Dice is another one who's been very generous, and I can't begin to mention everyone. Uh, those are just some of the ones that came in first. 
is why I mention them. And there's pictures of those there. And uh, you, uh, there's not a lot of information on the uh, items for auction at yesterdayusa.com yet because Kim is still in the process of what she has to do is she has to get everything all described and, and rounded up. And then that's when she starts divvying it up and making lots out of it. We'll have three items on the auction block every time. We'll sell those three items, and we'll have three more items. If we sell those items, we'll have three more items. And then we have some all-night items, some of the bigger items that are on there all evening long, and periodically we sell one of those. And that's the way we're going to, the way we've always done this auction. So Kim's got to get everything all together, see what she's got, and then start building her lots. And so that's why there's nothing up there in the way of merchandise listed on the website. But the place to find it is to come to yesterdayusa.com, look in the gray box, and click on the auction link. And right tonight you'll find uh, basic information about several pages of good basic information about how the auction works. And continue to check that on a regular basis because very soon you're going to see the lots listed there. And there's going to be some one-of-a-kind items. And we've never had a, a dissatisfied customer in the 10, 15 years we've been doing this. Not one single unsatisfied uh, customer. Well, the Everybody night, was a good time. Auction night is my second favorite night. And my what is your first favorite. favorite night? What do you think my first favorite night is? Saturday night when you're on with Walden. Well, besides that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is a very special time. Super Saturday, and we can talk oh, yes, about Super yes. Saturday after the, after the auction. We can talk about Super Saturday, yes. but it is a Super Saturday. I just get so fired up about these two things. I, I just love Super Saturday, and I love the auction, and I know people are going to come through and just um, participate one way or another. They're going to be there and participating, and Walden and I have been talking about it, and we will continue to talk about it. Each week, uh, and this is a heads up for our listeners, and, and I know Bill has to go. Um, each week I have a theme for the show, and I try to gather some information. And this week, one I have two themes this week, and one of them is auctions. So I have some information about the history of auctions and um, how in heaven's name it got, to, it got to the stage where it's at right now. But it's, it's kind of a nice prelude to the Yesterday USA auction. So Indeed it is. What we'll be a great playing idea. with some history of auctions tonight. So that's a pretty neat theme. Well, that is so great. Well, guys, thank you for this honor and opportunity and privilege to be with you. And, uh, Walden, I love you so much. You do such Thank a great you. job. And Patricia, uh, I can't say enough things about you. I love you so much. And I'm going to just get back out of the way and let you guys continue doing what you do so well. well really and I'm going to say a little prayer that someone somewhere who wasn't going to do something for this auction will now do it as a result of uh, your inspiration, your leadership, and your guidance, and a good job. It keeps me off. So the, you do. It keeps me off the street, everybody. If you worry about Walden, you donate to the auction. There we you are. Have the sandbox too. Walden has a sandbox story that he'll have to repeat one night. But Bill, we are just so happy that you spent some time with us, and um, I hope you have a great day tomorrow. We're working on the auction as fast and as seriously as we can, and it'll be great. It will indeed, and then I'll be also working 
on new tapes come Monday morning. All new shows will be on Yesterday USA. So I won't be getting much sleep tomorrow and tomorrow night because I'll be working for Yesterday USA. And what are you folks out there going to be doing besides listening? Well, I hope it's doing something that will help us keep on keeping on. And why don't you become a regular supporter? You can uh, click where it says Donate Money Now at YesterdayUSA.com. And any amount will do, large or small, we love them all. We're depending on you folks. Don't you dare let us down. Walden, Patricia, good night and God bless. Good night, Good night. Say hi to Kim for us, please. Will do. Okay, bye-bye, Bill. All right, there's the one and only Bill Bragg. Bill Bragg, the founder of the station. And gosh, he had some interesting things to talk about. Um, I never knew that he played instruments. He had talked a little bit about Lyndon Baines Johnson uh-huh. at different times, but not in the context that he did tonight and in the depth that he did tonight. So that was really a nice visit. Thank you, Bill. If you're still listening, we really appreciate it. We are at 714-545-2071. The phone lines are open, folks. We've got fun stuff for tonight. Um, special requests. Are taken. What do we? What, what could they request, Walden? Food. <laughs> I don't have any food. <laughs> what, what, what will we do? Stuff it in the email. Uh huh. Okay. Well, yeah, we could email donuts. We could email donuts and yummies and everything else Patricia got in the kitchen over there. And M and M's. M and M's. I have something to tell you about M and M's. What do you have to tell me? Well, Jim Taylor called in a couple of weeks ago. And I cannot recall what the context was, what the conversation was, but he mentioned that M&M's had passed up an opportunity to have its candy featured in E.T., the, you know, the movie oh, with the right. little, yeah. the, the little yeah. alien who comes down. Yep. And I thought, my gosh, you know, they usually, the products that are featured, the manufacturers usually have to pay an enormous amount of money. And I thought, well, you know, maybe that's, that's what it was. And Jim said, I don't know. I know. You know, it, it, didn't, it didn't sound like it. It, just, it was a gift that they turned down, and it went to, um, who did it go to? The, one, one was Mars and one was Hershey's. Uh, Mars passed on the chance. Okay, so the uh, M&M is a Mars candy. And they wound up with Reese's peanut butter cups. You know the little Reese's, Reese's yeah. pieces, the little ones. I like those. Yeah. Well, I, <laughs> maybe you like them because uh, because ET liked them as well. But mm-hmm. I got this information in my email. Thank you to underscore Bill, one of our chat room regulars and family member. Then yeah. um, and, and it was I went to Snopes the urban legend place that tells you whether or not something is true. Mm-hmm. You know, when you hear um, crazy stories, right. you can go to Snopes and find out whether or not this nutty email that came that says the earth is coming to an end, and right. if you walk around four times <laughs> and put <laughs> your finger in your ear, it will prevent the earth from exploding. And they'll tell you whether or not it's true. And this one says, the claim is... M&M's passed up the chance to be the candy used to lure shy little alien E.T. from his hiding place in the 1982 blockbuster E.T. 
thereby letting one of the most successful instances of movie product placement fall into the hands of a competitor who benefited mightily from it. And underneath it has status true. It was absolutely true. Mars passed up the chance for its flagship product, M&M's, to be the candy used in the in 1982 film, and it's turned down, cleared the way for Hershey Foods, uh, the Hershey Foods Corporation, to make a remarkable splash for its Reese's Pieces. How about that? Isn't that amazing? Yep. I wonder who has a former job at <laughs> Mars Bar's candy place. Uh, can you, would you want to be the person who turned that down? No. I don't think so. But it makes you wonder how often, how many movies requests they get in a, in a year, and do they pick and choose? You would think they wouldn't miss an opportunity, but... Well, it's, it's a most extraordinary thing mm -hmm. that they were not offered the opportunity in exchange for $100,000 or $500,000. I mean, this is like the Super Bowl advertising. It really costs an enormous amount to a manufacturer to have a product featured. You know, sometimes you'll see a red tan on a table, and other times it'll be turned around and you can see that it's a Coke. Well, Coca-Cola pays an awful lot of money to have its can of Coke sitting on the table while somebody is talking. Mm -hmm. And they were given a gift here. And the only thing, uh, it says Hershey, Hershey did not have to pay, I, I'm sorry, Hershey did not pay to have Reese's Pieces used in E.T., but it did agree to do a tie-in between the movie and the candy after the film was released. So they they did um, like a cross-sell, it's, it's cross-marketing, uh, where you had candy selling the movie and the movie selling the candy, and it was a really nice relationship. But they didn't have to pay anything. So the answer is no. These things don't come along very often, and this is I'm sure it must have happened before, but this is the first time I've ever heard that a company was actually handed a gift like this. And then to have the nuts to die, <laughs> good grief, turn it down. I, I'm just blown away by that. If there's a candy factory person out there who knows about um, advertising, and, they, or, and actually an advertising person who knows about the current fees associated with using products in movies and television, Give us a call, 714-545-2071. They've been saying here the last couple of years that most likely you're going to see more and more product placement because people are just skipping the commercials when the uh, technology allows people to just zap through the television commercials that uh, for a sponsor it's just less and less valuable for them to buy ads in uh, TV shows. Well, boy, that sure makes a whole lot of sense. Mm -hmm. What an intriguing mm -hmm. twist. Yeah. The television changer, the little clicker, yeah. has changed America. Right. Basically, you know, with some of these technologies, uh, you can just tell it to skip the commercial and just keep watching the programming, practically, if you have it set up correctly. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that that's going to change. That's going to change... Um, people watching and everything else. So uh, product placement will be more and more prevalent, really. So, I, real, I like that idea. My yeah. goodness. It's, it, does, it does make sense mm -hmm. that the higher visibility would be in the movie that you're watching. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, that's, that's common sense. Correct. Why would you even buy advertising for that particular feature? You know, if, they're, if they're running an hour and a half long movie and your product is going to be in there three times, why bother to buy advertising three times? Well, also, just think of it. Why, when you got, you're watching a TV show, why does the TV commercial seem louder than the actual programming? You know, they, I have read, um, I don't know how many articles about this, and the advertisers insist that the volume is the same, it, it has the same ceiling. You know, they're, they're, when, when you set your television at like a number 12, there's a ceiling for the volume. And um, they do the same with recordings. It, it's within a narrow window. You get low voices and really soft voices and very loud voices. And they're claiming that the commercials sound louder because they are almost consistently at the ceiling level. Whereas on a movie, you'll get somebody talking quietly and somebody screaming and a horn blowing and a quiet conversation. It'll be all over the place. But with ads, they're claiming that they tend to tease the top level of the audio limits. Uh, I don't know about that. I think they're louder. <laughs> I'm with you. Yeah, so I think partly because people get up and go do something else during the commercials. Sure. If I'm in the kitchen getting a, a, a glass of milk or something, they want to make sure I can still hear the commercial. Yeah. I, I agree with you. Yeah. We need some advertising people to call in. 714-545-2071 is our number. And we're going to talk about a little bit about advertising, a little bit about the auction, whatever Patricia has planned for us tonight. And we love your participation, if that's possible. You know, and just call to say hi. Just call to say hi. We have our regular trivia. Got some questions for people, and if you answer, and by the way, I still owe people some um, CDs. So hang in there. I didn't lose them. I've been working on auction projects, and I kind of ran out of time, and I'm very sorry. But um, you're on my list, and you will be getting your CDs. I talked to Kim this week, and we're still looking for items. And, you know, if you got a homemade item or a gift card or anything like that, that would be great, plus the radio show. So she, Kim was looking for some variety. Um, well, so, I've got, um, I mean, you know, because we've talked about this, yeah. that going out and buying a Pontiac to send to the auction is not within my means by any means. Right. So what I have done is put together sets of old-time radio shows and individual collections. I will have um, Christmas collections, for example, with Christmas shows, Christmas music, um, a CD of Christmas shows from the Jack Benny program, mm -hmm. Christmas shows from Fibber McGee and Molly, and Christmas shows from the Great Gildersleeve. So that, that will be, you know, like a Christmas package. And the, <laughs> what they used to call Mr. T, does anybody remember Mr. T, the old, uh, I can't even remember what, it, what he was, um, but he, he, was, he was built like an oak tree. Uh -huh. he, he wore gold. I right. mean, he had so much gold around his neck that he didn't have to do weightlifting. <laughs> I mean, it was, so 
when somebody would show up with a couple of gold chains or gold necklaces, they'd, they'd call it a Mr. T starter set. So <laughs> I thought that was kind of a cute term. But so translating that to radio, I'm putting together old-time radio starter sets. And um, they'll all be different. You'll have some science fiction, comedy, mystery, detectives, drama. You'll have as much of a variety as I can put together, but each group will be different. So if you want to bid on two groups and hope you get one, they're going to be different. So I'm doing that. I figure uh, some of them are on DVDs because the show collections are just enormous. The Jack Benny collection alone is on five full DVDs. That is a lot of programming <laughs> for Jack Benny. Um, Excuse me, and it's got some extra goodies in there as well. But it, it's really interesting um, for me to go out and do this because I've been listening to so many shows, checking sound quality on them, and obviously I couldn't listen. I'm, I'm figuring I must have close to five or 6,000 shows here um, that I'm, I'm toying with, maybe more. So I couldn't listen to 5,000 different shows. So on the really large collections, I had to spot check the sounds. And, you know, I would do 20 or 30 and, and spot check the, the sounds and pull the ones that were I came across that weren't any good. But a lot of the shows I actually tuned into or clicked on every single one in a collection to make sure that what's there is decent sound quality. Now, obviously, there are some that would get through that are not terrific, or I chose not to break up an entire set of a series. You can do that yourself. I'll put everything in there and keep the series complete and give it to you. But those are the kinds of things that I'm doing, and I came across a good sale at one of the uh, media companies that I use, and I got a couple of flash drives, uh, four gigabyte flash drives that are going to be easy to mail, they're easy to send out, and... Um, you know, they're just kind of neat to have. So I'll put together the collections of CDs and the flash drives, and I'm sure there's going to be at least one other item I come across that the piggy bank can, can handle this week. And uh, I'll put that in a box to Kim next week. Hooray for Patricia. And basically, I, I got a lot of radio shows already sent down, and I'm trying to think what else to send. I'm probably going to get some uh, another book from Martin Grams. You know, he's just a good friend of the station, and I like to help out one way or another. Mm-hmm. So that's probably what I'm going to wind up doing, give Martin a call and say, okay. Books are always great, yeah. and they don't have to be new books. In no. fact, some of the older books that are out of print are far bigger treasures than some of the newer books that are available. So do keep your eyes open in as places like secondhand bookstores are yeah. just joys to go through. They smell good, too. I mean, I just love the smell of, a, of an old library or an old bookstore. It's, it's really just a lovely scent. Um, but they've got some great buys in there of um, books that are out of print. Uh, last year, I bought back one that I had sent. <laughs> I did until I got it back because I really wanted it. It was on comic books, and it's one that what one was on comics themselves, Sunday comics, and the second one was on comic books, and both of them are out of print. So I couldn't buy brand new ones, but I found um, books that 
were in good enough shape that I could have passed them off as brand new, but they were not. And uh, they were out of print, and they are just fabulous books. And they were not nearly the cost that they were when they were brand new. No, uh, Al- Albus, uh, occasionally you can find great deals on Amazon uh, or other places you might aware of locally in your, your house or somewhere on the web. Just great books, maybe even just p- coffee table books or pictures. You know, we, we sort of lean to the historical side around here on the weekend. And I know Dr. Dale found a book shot, I remember a few years ago, on, uh, you know, life. I mean, great, great ideas. Anything that's somewhat historical. And let's face it, some of those you can find under a dollar. You know. That's true. You have to pay like 3 or $4 for shipping. And right. that's frequently more expensive than the book itself. But yeah. still comes out to a fabulous bargain. It does. When you go to Amazon.com and also BarnesandNoble.com, you have sellers, third-party sellers, not Barnes & Noble itself and not Amazon itself, but the third-party sellers who sell secondhand books. But almost everything that is available secondhand also has sellers selling new ones for a lot less than you would have to buy over the counter or, or through the actual store at the website. So lots of opportunities out there. Send food. Send food. No, don't send well, food. I'm, a, I'm only kidding. <laughs> Actually, I was going to suggest that. Um, oh, I thought, oh, yeah, you know, like snails. I like snails. I know. But I was thinking, this might, I might want to call it the Vermont Country Store. Okay, it's a great website, and they deal in nostalgia merchandise. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, so, for example, if you're a big Lux Radio Theater fan, they still got Lux in the wrappers. If you're looking for something unique, go over to the Vermont Country Store and see what's over there. It's a, it's a fun website just to cruise through. You yeah. don't even have to buy anything. Yeah. If you need if you need some entertainment for half an hour or so, take a visit at vermontcountrystore.com mm-hmm. and just spend some time up there. It's a whole history lesson just waiting for you. Lots of pictures. It's got lots of pictures. And I think that rings Patricia. Bill, stop. <laughs> <laughs> In the black and white photography rings my bell. Yeah. 714-545-207. Let's go over the schedule here for the next couple of weeks. Uh, that way people know. Because we're going to be somewhat sporadic here because of the auction. Um, next weekend, uh, we'll see if we'll have a live guest on the 20th with Patricia and I. will work on that. Um... Then that following Sunday, a week from tomorrow, um, Bill planning to go on two hours before the live show, but Kim says, worst case scenario, she'll get start with the live show. Okay, she'll just keep cranking on the list uh, for the preview. So I'm I'm gonna let Dr. Mike have next Sunday off, and we're gonna let Bill and Kim have as much time as possible go over the items. So just heads up. Tim Horst will probably be up sometime next weekend. I talked to a number of times this week, and, you know, the poor thing's been under the weather here. But she's working hard, and so I would think we have a, some, just wrong gut feeling, we'll have something up next weekend. Um, 
So, keep that in mind, uh, November 21st. Then the following weekend, uh, 27th, after we get done with the Colorado show, Patricia and I will be on. And we'll probably give, we'll probably have some late updated information about the auction, knowing how Kim will probably keep working. And we'll fill everybody in because the auction will be that next day on the 28th. And then I won't be on that day. That's basically, it gets totally 10 hours or so. Uh, so stay tuned around 4 o'clock Eastern time on the 28th. And that's sort of going to be the next two or three weeks. So okay, keep in mind that um, this is what we got to root for. Just see how we're going to do. And I, you know what? I think we're going to do just fine. We're going to do just fine. We yeah. do every year. Yeah. And every year, people and I are on the same wavelength and finally finish our shopping and doing and making, um, like, with two days to spare. <laughs> <laughs> so um, there's going to be a flood of goodies coming think, in. I'm confident of that. Because I think the people who love the station will support the station. Sure. And that's what I believe. And honestly, not asking for the the entire world or your house or your firstborn. No. Whatever you can do is just great. Um, I mean, there is nothing too small. No. If it fits in an envelope or can be mailed, by golly, please do. Yeah. Great it's stuff. fun. It's fun. And it, it, it is fun. I yeah. really do have a good time. Yeah. Um, this year, is the, my bidding is going to be a little light this year because um, I, I am... <laughs> I you put, am being you dictated put, by my checking account. Yeah, well, you're putting all the effort in getting the stuff ready. Yeah, well, yeah. I'm doing that, too. But, I know. Um, you know, it, it's going to be a nice collection, and I'm putting um, some really nifty inserts in with them to make them look colorful and with descriptions and the Yesterday USA logo on the paper. So um, they're actually suitable for stocking stuffers. How about that? I think that's pretty cool. It's nice. And I got my printer cartridge, so I can continue <laughs> printing now. Oh, my goodness. It went poopy the other day. Oh, dear. It came, but uh, found a bargain on that one, too. I you know, I ought to hire myself out as a bargain hunter. Well, you know, I guess, you know, in the old-time radio days, I guess they did have professional, professional shoppers. They did? I guess those people who look for bargains. No kidding? Uh-huh. Oh gee. Yeah, I, know. I missed it. <laughs> I'm too late. No, I bet you're never too late. You can start a new trend. Um okay. Yeah. We'll do that. Yeah. Sure. That's we have a theme tonight. What is and our theme? Mention one theme. We actually have two. What are what are they? What are the double <laughs> scoop? The first one, because we're talking about auctions, I thought it would be pretty nifty if we had some auction history. But I also want to know or want to hear from people who have attended auctions. You and I talked about this last night, and I was at different times, obviously. Um, I have been to two auctions, and they were wonderful. I mean, people, but one was an estate auction, and one was a weekly deal where people just showed up with a whole bunch of stuff, and the auctioneer auctioned it off. Uh, and that one was way up in farm country and really country country. So they had wonderful things like um, trunks. <laughs> I mean, you know, the, the old steamer-type trunks 
which is one of our shows tonight, Fibber goes out and buys a steamer trunk, and a locked steamer trunk at an auction. Both of our shows tonight are about auctions with Fibber. Um, I hope I'm not doing overkill here. <laughs> and this, and I, I did, I got a great oak table. It was an old, it was an antique oak table that must have weighed 4,000 pounds. It was incredible. And the second one was an estate sale, uh, which, which was, it was outdoors. It was absolutely um, enchanting, I guess is the best way to put it, with all of these wonderful items that somebody had taken such good care of, and it was such a treat to know that people were taking them home and going to treat them just as well as their original owners. So so if you've ever been to an auction, I really want to hear about it, 714-545-2071. And the second because we're gearing up for this already. The auction is your best opportunity to start your Christmas shopping. And I would like to know, everybody gets asked, well, what's the best present you ever got? What did you get for Christmas this year? What is the best present you ever gave? Not necessarily a present, but a gift. It could be a Christmas gift. It could be a gift sometime during the year. It could be a gift of time. It could be a gift of yourself. It could be a gift that you found that was just absolutely perfect for another person. You could have given your gift yourself a gift. Sometimes that's the neatest gift in the whole wide world. So what is the best gift you ever gave, and did you ever attend an auction? And if those aren't hot items, call about anything you like. 714-545-2071. And we have Walden's questions, too. Oh, 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 oh. oh, oh. Got to make sure people know that we've got trivia tonight. Always have trivia. Mm-hmm. So if you want a question, take a swipe at a question. It's time. You can do that because Walden's going to get his. Are you ready? So what do you do this week? <laughs> You're not ready. <laughs> Um, I spent the entire week laying out sets of programs and deciding which ones would go in what collection and then making them. Hooray! Whole week! It's amazing. I, I just never would have guessed. I should have remembered from last year, but I didn't do this many last year. Um, I mean, they're coming together really nicely, and I'm very pleased with the way they look, but I'm just astounded at, uh, at how much time is involved here. So were there any shows you had going in the background? Oh, I had some really interesting shows. For the first time, I listened to a show named Escape. Have you ever heard that one? Uh-huh. One of the shows that was not... Um, it had been, it, have gained more reputation through the collectors over the last 20, 30 years than it did probably during the golden days of radio. You know, I I believe that because when I came across it, at first I thought, oh, you know, I've never heard of this one before. It's probably one of those that never should have been made. Mm -hmm. And that's not true. Then I looked at Escape and I thought, oh, it must be something in a horror fiction type thing, and it wasn't. It really is. It's, 
It's promoted as an escape from the everyday stuff. Just kick back, enjoy, and we're going to take you on a journey. And it's really well done. So I got, oh gosh, 20 million of them. <laughs> Did you, have you ever looked at John Dunning's book of what time that series ran? It's a staggering to look at that list. Hello, Carl. You're on with Patricia. Hey, hi. Hello. Hi. Hi, you were talking about auctions. We are. You bet. I, I attend a lot of auctions. Um, I collect uh, toys and I collect old radio premiums. I've been doing that for about 40, 50 years. Well, we're going to talk about that in just a second. Who are we talking with? My name is Michael, and I'm uh, from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Hello, Michael. Are you a first-time caller? Yeah. Well, no, no, no. I've called before, and I've contributed into the auctions. Mm -hmm. matter of fact, I'm getting my stuff together. You were talking about uh, some of the books <laughs> like that I picked up. A uh, really lovely uh, uh, book on the Superman, which I love Superman and grew up with Superman. And this is the old Superman uh, newspaper reprints from the 40s. Wow. Put it out. And sat, once again, you were talking about things going out of print. It went out of print real fast. I guess there wasn't a big demand on it. I guess um, I uh, go to toy shows also, too, and uh, display a lot of my things. And everybody will walk by and say, oh, God, those things are so great there. You know, all the radio premiums that I have. Talk, uh, tell me about the premiums. We were talking about premiums one night a while back, and some of them, are they'll just blow you away. Tell me what you've got. Well, you just name it, and uh, the thing is that, uh, you know, once again, a hobby like that becomes uh, very infectious, and, you know, one thing begets another. If you like Superman, Superman begets Batman, and Batman begets Wonder Woman, and Wonder Woman begets, you know, uh, the Green uh, Lantern, and before you know it, you're collecting everything. Uh-huh. Radio premiums, they all started, and, of course, that measured, uh, you know, the response of how many people were listening to in the older days before they had... Right tremendous rating systems that they have today. Uh -huh. And so, you know, they would get a, uh, they would put up a ring or a badge and they would see the response on that. And uh, by how, of how many box tops came in and, you know, just 10 cents to cover it. And most of the premiums that came from the 30s and 40s, they are in such gorgeous condition today. I mean, after all the years, they, I mean, they were really not cheap things. Uh, most of the things that held up that I found out that, or like the Hopalong Cassidy, he had—he was a wonderful man. He never let anything with his name on it go out that was going to damage or hurt children. And uh, those things are his uh, uh, outfits and guns and, uh, you know, cap guns and things like that mm -hmm. that were absolutely gorgeous. And their premiums that they would have for him were also all, all first-class things. But most of the older, older really premiums that came from the 40s and 50s, uh, they were the same way. My, you know, the most famous one, I guess, uh, the, the most valuable and most sought after is the uh, uh, Lone Ranger atomic bomb ring. And that's the one where you would take the cap off of it, you'd hold it up to your eye, and you could actually see these little specks that were in there. Whatever they had in there, I had no idea. But these things were actually exploding in there, and you could see, look in that. And um, that's probably one of the most sought-after things. And, of course, all the shadow premiums that were kind of rare because a lot of those were coming from the pulp uh, books. And uh, a Green Hornet uh, had a ring out that was that's also kind of rare. And uh, Sky King uh, had a lot of wonderful, wonderful radio premiums that they offered. So, I mean, it, it goes on. Orphan Annie was like, uh, like she, she had them like for like 20, 25 years uh, she kept on putting out everything. They had uh, 
I was just able to pick up some stationery with Addie's things on there and their cups. Captain Midnight had a lot of the uh, uh, plastic cups because plastic started to overtake all the metal badges that were coming out and all the metal rings. I remember hearing a show that was promoting a, plas- a piece of plastic, a plastic premium, and it might have been a mug, but whatever it was, it was made out of plastic. And the announcer was talking about it like it was a new wonder material that you absolutely, it wasn't made out of cheap lead or cheap wood. It was plastic. Well, and I don't know if that's, it, it, did people really see plastic when it first came out in that light? Well, uh, it's the thing, you know, when Mrs. Robinson, what, you know, uh, is, uh, he gets there and he's talking to the gentleman and the gentleman says, hey, I want to tell you two words. Think about this buy plastic, you know, plastic was it, and at that time, you know, everything was converting over from the metal, and, you know, that, a lot of that happened during the war years when you weren't able to get metal. Uh-huh. Metal went into the metal drives, people collected metals and all the, all the things. That's what happened for all comic books. A lot of comic books went into the trash. Yeah. Uh, they were saving it for paper and, uh, and whatever, but uh, plastic started to replace it because it was an easy thing. It was a chemical. And it was able to be converted into uh, things. And the mugs are really beautiful. I mean, the, the Captain Midnight mugs I had, they, they made them cups. They made mugs. Uh, locally here in Philadelphia, there was a, uh, a cowboy show called uh, Ranger Joe, which is uh, very popular. There's a lot of there uh, cups and mugs around. And uh, it was a cereal that was similar to uh, uh, Quaker puffed rice and Quaker puffed uh, wheat and coated with uh, honey. And uh, but that was like a local product here. But you know the the premiums went from from local to national to all over. And even, you know today I got a couple of rare uh, premiums that came from uh, the uh, soap operas, and I have two of those. And they were they were kind of rare because generally most of the times women you know they like the soap. They like to get open up a box of soap and get a, a towel or a wash rag or whatever they would have in there. But but to get a premium that was like a little pin that the, the ladies wore. Now, that's unusual. That was like kind of thing. And years ago, you were able to uh, to get them, uh, you know, as a, like I said, you would go to an auction or you'd go to a toy show. And it, it took me years and years to accumulate them. And then all of a sudden, when eBay came around, all of a sudden, the world became very, very small. And you were able to get all these uh, wonderful, wonderful uh, toys and premiums. What, which premiums or premiums do you have that you place a premium on? Which are the best ones in your Well, the, the ones I have originally, I've, I have uh, hundreds of them, but the ones that I have that are uh, actually uh, uh, from my past, I have uh, from Sky King. It was a little stamp that had my name and address on there, which I still have. And you had it in a little uh, tin thing, and you would press it in, and, and you can put your, your name, your return address on there, name and that return address that I still have. And I also have my Sergeant Preston's uh, Mountie Whistle that I have that was my own. And I have uh, some Tom Mix. Tom Mix made during when television first came out. Tom Mix had put out a uh, – Tom Mix was played by Curly Bradley, which was one of my favorite shows, and that and. And also, too, was uh, Straight Arrow, which I used to love, too. It had a great opening in Straight Arrow with the Nabisco shredded wheat. And uh, most of the times when I sing the song for uh, any of these things, people just look at you like you're crazy. And, you know, <laughs> things, you know, things are 70 years old, and, you know, you're, you're still remembering them. But uh, 
But the uh, those are a couple of things that I have. The Atomics came out with this little television set that looked like the RCA television. The RCA at that time was, was the big thing that, that most people bought, and they were most reasonable. I think they were running when they came out about four or five hundred dollars, and but they were only like a five-inch television set. So they had the same replica built there, but they had a little wheel in there that you put a film, a plastic film in there. When you looked in there, you saw pictures of Tom Mix in there. First, the ones they had were from some of old Tom Mix's movies that uh, that he had made, the silent films. There were like five different ones, and when you held it up to the light, you would see a different show, and then it had a little caption underneath there. And then later on, they changed them and made them into a cartoon uh, from the comic book comics. And then they started doing uh, other little comics, uh, different things. When they, they brought out different versions of them, you were able to buy extra films for those. And they weren't actually films. They were just this little little uh, circular disc that fit into the uh, this little miniature TV, which was approximately one inch in width. And it had a little eye peeper in there, and you looked in there, and so it was almost similar to the uh, uh, the things that they would have uh, years later when you would look and you know you can get your picture taken like uh, down at the seashore, and they would put your picture in a little eye scope, and you would see. But it was, it was on that basis that it worked. But it was fun, and you know they, those things you would play with for hours and hours, and uh, you know, or especially if you, like most of the old uh, radio programs, it would, you would belong to a club. Yeah, your club would be, uh, you know, the Dorf and Annie Club, or, uh, you know, uh, Red Rider had his own club, and everybody else uh, had some sort of a, a, a membership. They wanted you to have a membership. And this, this, you know, you wear your badge to school. I remember one time uh, I had just gotten my uh, Lone Ranger uh, six-gun, which was a, a blue plastic. We're talking about plastic, but it was a six-gun. But it had three different colors in there, and you were able to take the cap off in the front, and then you would put the three different colors. It had blue, red, and green, and then white was the, without anything in there. So I had gotten it, and I took it to the local movie theater, and I was flashing this thing all over the place. You know, because we were watching cowboy movies when we were kids on Saturday afternoon. And apparently it must have been bothering somebody, so because the uh, usher came down, and he took away my, uh, my load ranger thing. And this thing was really beautiful because... Not only was it blue, but it had a, a silver handle on it too, which was made out of out of, uh, and it just looked absolutely gorgeous. Did you get it back? Oh yeah, yeah. After the movie was over, he. Oh my goodness! I'm but it was, but it was just like funny, you know, like uh, you you don't think of these things happen. Yeah. yeah. But uh, but that's 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 the way the uh, you know you you grew up with that world, and you know you're always telling your mother, hey, save the box tops for that, save this, and uh, the one of the most biggest, uh, uh, most valuable uh, premiums was the Lone Ranger Frontier Town, which came in four different sections. And then you would have to buy the Cheerio cereal, and then you would cut out the house in the back that was on every box. And then you would build your own little town, and you would play this out. And it was uh, it was like anything that would keep, because it kept you coming back to buy more and more of the product. Did you build one? Uh, I built it years later. I didn't buy it. I, at the time when I had it, I... I, uh, I only had a section of, of it and, and just never completed it. But years later, I was able to acquire a, uh, a whole town. And then uh, I had it for is, a while. How big is your collection? It's big. It's very big. What, what, how big is big? Well, big is, is a lot of. Uh, <laughs> between, like I said, it's, uh, between comic books, which I collect, uh-huh. movie films, uh, uh, videotapes, uh, video DVDs, and uh, 
and anything. Uh, you know, I grew up during uh, the fantasy worlds of uh, you know, Superman, Batman, and uh, all those wonderful things that that went serials. Primarily, I've got almost every serial that was ever made on the VHS or DVD. And, uh, and as a kid, they were all great. And uh, at least you thought they were great. And same thing with the cowboy movies. And years later, when you start looking at those things, they uh, <laughs> they don't hold up as they did when you were 10 years old or 12 years old. They tend to get a little little rough. There's a couple great serials other than than the ones that, that are my favorites, and uh, and you you keep them and you cherish those, and you have those. Those are your your uh, things that you love. You were talking about the Reese's Pieces. I had heard that a long time ago, and uh, you were absolutely right about that. That was uh, that was the one that they they got the uh, the go ahead because uh, M and M's didn't want to do it, and they ended up. They, and apparently after that was over, this that, that turned out to be a, like a gigantic hit with the kids. They all switched over from M and M's. M and M's, if you notice, have been doing a very very strong uh, campaign uh, over the last couple of years to mm-hmm. both back. And now somehow I, I don't see Reese's Pieces that much on television like it used to be. It had a great Halloween commercial, and it it was set up. Uh, the orange color, of course, on the wrapper makes it a natural for Halloween. And it had a dark background, and with really spooky lettering it came up with, what's the scariest thing about Halloween? And the answer was having to give away your Reese's peanut butter cups. <laughs> and well, those were the cups now. The Reese's pieces were entirely different. The pieces yes, were. Yes, they were. Yeah, they were They were in a package. They were, like, similar to uh, the, uh, the uh, M&M's. And- uh-huh. A little bit here, but they're yeah. good too. They're all products. Any candy, kind of candy. I remember, like years ago, we used to go around as kids and pick up Coke bottles, and because uh, at that time you were able to return them and get two cents on a uh, a regular uh, soda bottle, which was either Pepsi or Coke or Seven Up, and uh, uh, the uh, the bigger bottles, the quart bottles, you were able to get a nickel back on those. So if you got, you got a nickel on me, you could have bought a candy bar, you could have bought a uh, uh, an ice cream cone, especially during the summertime, because we were off during the summer, you know, from school, and you know, you just go around looking for them things. Or in the neighborhood where we lived, in an industrial part of Philadelphia, uh, there was always a lot of guys who came and they they bought themselves a soda or something, and they would say, you know, you were just a kid, they would give you the bottle because they knew you would take it back. So you would go in there, you would return the bottle, and the uh, owner of the store, because he he also got a re, uh, rebate from the uh, company for returning the bottles. Hmm. And uh, so he would give you, you know, your two cents worth of candy. And so he, he got he moved his product, too, from us kids. So, and then we used to take the uh, popsicle sticks and then make them into, like, little rafts. We would weave them in and out. We'd go around on the streets looking for popsicle sticks. And uh, you did things. And that's what kept you out of trouble. You would take uh, bottle caps and get, like, either ten, you know, the, the Coke bottles, and you would use them for checkers. And... Uh, you know, because we were growing up during the war years where we were hard times for people. Although, uh, like for ourselves, we were we were never poor, but, you know, we were never that rich. So it was like a, uh, it was like a thing. But you, yeah, that's what you grew up with, and, you know. Yeah. yeah, you weren't any poorer or any richer than everyone else around you. Yeah, yeah, it was a, yeah that's the neighborhood you came from. That's what you lived in, and that was. Everybody was dealing with the same things. Yeah, yeah. Did you have ice cream trucks that came through? On the what, ma'am? Ice cream trucks. Did you have ice cream? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 
we still have a wagon, a, a horse and wagon came around uh, delivering milk. And the horse was like really so smart. The horse would know exactly where to stop and the people who were doing it. And he would just go down the street and the milkman would be behind him and he would go to the house that needed to be delivered to him. And he would stop there. And, and he, the guy never told him. And then he would go to the door, the uh, milkman, he would pick up the bottles, bring them back down and then deliver what he had to do. And the horse would move up and then go to the next house. And he would stop and wait. You know? And it was like unbelievable to see. And we I thought those our, were we stories. Scooters, uh, uh, we would take uh, uh, wooden boxes and then uh, make uh, take our skates and tear them apart. And they would be, uh, we would get a two by four and we would build ourselves a, uh, a box scooter. And then like today, the kids have the little uh, little uh, things that they go on, their, uh, their uh, boards. Uh-huh, oh, the skateboard? Yeah, but we, we made it into like, it looked like it was a motorcycle because we had handles up on the top and made out of wood. Oh my gosh. And then you would decorate them with either uh, bottle caps or whatever, you know. And those sort of things that kept you out of trouble when you were very rarely had trouble in our our neighborhoods. They were, and if that would happen, like so somebody would tell, some of the people would tell, uh, you know, that they would tell your mother and father, and then they would come and they would beat you up. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about that one night. We never did anything bad because there was always somebody who knew who we were. Yeah, and that was, oh, that's what happened with the police. The police, when they took the police off of the street beats, that's when trouble all started. Because years ago, the policeman knew who everybody was within that neighborhood. Uh-huh. He knew who was there and who belonged there and who didn't belong there. And he would watch out for you. And uh, he would watch your house. And he would know the stores and what time the people closed and all that. And yeah. Everything was down, down to plan. And then as soon as that, like in Philadelphia here, they turned around, they took the uh, street cops off of the uh, beats, and they, they put them in the cars, and then they started patrolling in their cars, and, and then that's when a lot of things happened, and uh, yeah. they didn't have the person who knew who knew the neighborhood like they used to do in the older days. And they're moving, it's interesting, because they are moving back in that direction now. They're doing what they call community policing. They've put cops on bicycles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, uh, that's very... On walking beats, and they're they know the people in the neighborhood just like it used to be, and uh, it's it seems to be working very well in some areas. It works very nicely here in Philadelphia. There is a large contingency of police on bicycles here. Yeah, it works out well for that too. So, what's uh, your favorite radio station, or not radio station? Your favorite radio show? Oh, uh, I guess the Shadow. I I love the Shadow, and uh, I've loved the. Uh, God, I used to be ignorant. I thought those are all, even today, they still hold up. And of course, Jack Benny. Jack Benny, I, I just can't believe how funny he was. And <laughs> Well, because you know who Jack Benny was and you know how he set up. And uh, and I just I just think those, those shows hold up so well. Uh, you know, 50 years ago, uh, when they were made, you know, to be played now, and they, they still, they last. But, but of course, The Shadow still is my favorite. Some of the other ones, uh, you know, the Lone Rangers are, are well done and well thing, and I love Brace Beamer, and I love the uh, the, uh, the fact that they did Superman. Some of the Superman shows are okay. Some of them, some of them tend to get a little little drugged out. They they have a couple of series out that you can buy on DVDs, and they uh, they tend to be really laborious after a while. But I love Bud Collier. I thought he was a great uh, a great person to do the Superman uh, voice, and all the all the there. 
and uh, just about uh, that the other ones uh, it's, it's, it's amazing all the ones that you folks you play uh, are just uh, just uh, absolutely amazing you know all your shows I heard you say that you know you have like 5,000 shows which are great I don't have 5,000 but I may have 4,000 <laughs> Well, maybe I have some that you need to add to your collection. Do you have all the Bennies you want, all the Shadows, all the Lone Rangers, all the I, Superman? I've been collecting the Shadows for a, a long time now, and I've, okay. I, them on, I had them on record, and I had them transferred over, and, and all the things they've come out over the years, and like now recently they discovered a couple couple rare ones, and the ones from the 50s, and they're still they're out there, but somebody will find them. It was like uh, somebody had said uh, not too long ago they were... They were tearing down an old radio station. They pulled down a wall, and behind the wall was another room, and they had a whole bunch of their discs and everything there. This is someplace out, out west, uh, maybe where you folks are at. Oh, hello. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Well, what don't you have in your collection that I can add to? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I know. That's like <laughs> It's like asking somebody if you missed something that you never had. Yeah, it's it, it's just it, you know what I've I've had and I've anything that I've ever wanted I've I've gotten myself and I just I just go out and purchase it. Um, I used to, you know what there was a great program on uh, I don't know if you ever heard it. Uh, I found out later uh, uh, it was called oh gosh I can't even think of it now. But uh, he played he was on uh, it it pays to be ignorant and he played a butler. I can't think of his name now. Walden, can you help? I am in. Uh, I am thinking. He was one of the panelists, mm -hmm. and uh, he did end up show. And I'd looked for it for like a hundred years, and I thought it was called. Uh, it was called. Uh, at least I thought it was. It's. It's Wiggins. Wiggins the Butler was his name. Oh, it's it's um Higgins. Higgins, sir. Right, yeah, Higgins. It's Higgins, sir. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that is what that is what I found out later on. I always thought it was, but and to me it was like it was like a summer replacement. And I always thought that that was a funny show. And I looked at it, and then years later I found out it was one of the panelists that used to be on the, the Pace to be Ignorant. Yeah. I know I can dig up some of those. I have come across them. If you have, well, you I'd like? be happy to have this. I, oh, and I, I don't have any in my collection. I've heard them on your on here on the mm -hmm. uh, Yesterday USA. I just knew there was something we could find. I don't know how many are out there that I'm able to find, but I have listened to a couple. And, um, you come across I've, it. You can hmm? be even happy. To. Okay. I need an address, though, Michael. Can you send me an email with a place to send? Sure. Sure. Okay. Uh, the email is Florida Writer, all one word. It's F-L-O-R-I-D-A, Writer, W-R-I-T-E-R. Right. At Hotmail. Dot com. Okay. I'll send it. Higgins, sir, it is. Okay, that's great. And what else are you looking for? And what are you looking for, Walden? <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm always looking for stuff. Well, I'm, I'm sending, I'm sending the stuff to the, uh, to the auction. To the auction, yeah. I'm. Got a lot. I got a lot of DVDs. That... Right. I, I, sure. I you know, I'm. I'm probably gonna call Martin Grams and uh, send off some. Probably send another book down or two. Okay, I'm looking forward. I think you are too, Michael. His shadow book will be coming out in, in March. Anticipating that. Yeah. That's and heads up, there are some uh, there are some undiscovered shadow shows. With the 1949 season does exist. He said, uh, sitting at the Library of Congress, or somehow somebody going up there. 
pony up and pull those out. So that's that's the whole year plus all the ones the coming out through Radio Spirit. So more shadow shows well, are the spirits, coming. The spirits have been very good about putting this stuff yeah. together, and they've been very very nice. And then also too about all the information that they have on it. So I look forward to seeing that. And also, too, that uh, I do have a book by uh, uh, Walter Gibson signed. Oh, yeah. Too, which was nice when The Shadow first came out. And uh, the first book that came out by them. And it was, it was uh, it's, it's a nice little piece for, for anybody that's that's interested, if they can still find any copies floating around there. Uh, they're nice to have. And, well, all the things, like you I just mentioned, the, uh, the radio uh, book uh, that... Uh, I have a copy of that too. I have a lot. Of, when they first came out, they were very, very difficult. They, they weren't that many. I remember as a as a youngster, looking on television locally, there was a uh, fellow on. His name was Peter Boyle, mm-hmm. and he was the father of Pete Boyle from the uh, uh, the movies. Huh. And uh, he had a local show here. And as a matter of fact, he worked on Ernie Kovacs. Ernie Kovacs used to come out of Philadelphia okay. on a radio station here locally called the WPTZ. And uh, Kovacs came from uh, up in Trenton. He came down to Philly, and he, he did. And he was he was just as funny as he was. And then later on, moved on to uh, New York to ABC. And uh, but uh, and while he was here in Philadelphia, when they used extras, uh, this fellow Pete Boyle, uh, he used to have an afternoon show. He uh, he did a lot of the uh, Hopalong Cassidy uh, for on Fridays. They would run a Hopalong Cassidy movies. This was like about 1949 when mm. they became very popular. And uh, and then during the rest of the week, they would do uh, regular cowboy movies because they were just using them for fillers, you know, to fill right. time and space uh, on the TV shows. But uh, he would do a lot of those. But uh, every now and then in between the the shows as he'd talk, he would hold up these books. And these books had pictures of the Little Rascals. He talked about the Little Rascals. And he talked about all the movie stars. And I said, oh, my God. I said, where do you get stuff like that? And I, because I was never, you know, never privy to go out and look for or things like that. I didn't even know they existed. Right. And uh, then later on, as I got a little older, I was able to go to bookstores and then buy, uh, you know, uh, you know these uh, these wonderful books that I had. So over the years, and then, you know, thank goodness they started coming out like, like, as many as the thing, there's such gorgeous books and the gorgeous photos and uh, and the uh, the ones that are so beautiful with uh, with anyone that's that's interested in movies. They got some lovely, lovely uh, glamour shots of uh, of uh, these uh, books on movie stars, and they all worked. But anyway, he used to hold them up, and I I just fell in love with them, and then I started collecting books. So that's another thing too. So you got a lot of a lot of movie books and books dealing with. Uh, you know, the things that I was interested in. And uh, serial books, premium books, comic books, uh, and guides, comic book guides, which are uh, guides that uh, deal with, uh, you know, the value of those. But uh, the values have changed, especially now over the years. Things go up and they go down. Which comic book were you happiest to find? I guess, uh, well, I, I always, uh, I, I love the Supermans. I loved all the... Uh, Captain America's, and uh, when we grew up, because I grew up during the 40s, and uh, it was in there, there was one little lady who had a had a little store, and all she sold was magazines, and she had a uh, two uh, uh, machines in there. One had peanuts in it, and the other one had Indian nuts in there. I don't know if you ever had Indian nuts; they taste like pinoli nuts, but they were Indian nuts. They were, had a little shell on them. They're very hard to find these days, but. Uh, <laughs> Those were the only two, like gumball machines that she had in there, and she did have some little minor candies, 
and but primarily she sold magazines and comic books. And every week when I came back from church, I had money. My aunt, my aunts were kind of rich because my aunt owned a candy store, so uh, she used to give us always money, like a quarter, and I was able to go and buy a couple of comic books. So you would look on the rack, and she would have these things on a piece of wire, and they were just hanging there, and then you would pick out whoever you know, whoever you want, and then we trade the comic books in the neighborhood too. Uh, you would read them for a while, and then you would go to somebody else, and somebody else would have something else, and you would trade. And every, you know, maybe once a week you'd hear a knock on your door, and it was one of your uh, neighbor friends who had his comics, and they would they would bring about 10 or 12 of them, and you would look at them and say, oh, okay, I'll trade you this one for that one, okay? And you would trade comic books. And that's how you got to learn and read everybody else's uh, things, and you pass them on. And uh, I had one uh, one buddy in there. He, he just he wanted nothing but horror comic books. And that was like during the 50s when they had the big ban on the on the the, uh, the horror comic books because they were getting too uh, too gross for uh, for the parents. And so they so they put a big deal. He was he was a guy that had them all. I mean, for God's sakes, he had he had so many you couldn't believe it. But most of the times we had uh, superheroes that we enjoyed and the comic books, even with like the Looney Tunes and and. All the other ones that uh, that were primarily that you would see in the, in the motion picture, you know, that was on Saturday uh, theaters. Michael, who put the control on the horror comic books? Oh, that was a there was a team that apparently were out there and, uh, and school officials, and they had this uh, this panel that got together and the uh, uh, civic leaders, and they just felt that uh, some of these comic books, I guess. Some ladies who didn't didn't have anything else better to do, and they just thought that the the comic books. I mean, we weren't going around slashing anybody and killing anybody, and uh, not like they are today. But yeah, all the drug wars and all the other things that are going on. So this was a local thing. No, no, that was a national thing. It became that's why uh, most of the comic books you'll see the uh, stamp on the top that they were they were uh, all the uh, comic books from the uh, late fifties all the way into the. 70s and 80s had the little seal on there and said that they were approved by the uh, Comic Book uh, Association. Oh my goodness. Walden, did you know about that? I did not. That's, that, that is, I did not know. I knew they did that show with the movies. You know, we had the movies rating uh-huh. back in the 30s. I didn't realize that went to the comic books. Yeah, well, they, they went from there. The comic books were later when it, mm-hmm. it happened, like in the, the late the late uh, you know, maybe maybe mid fifties, and that's when it all started. Mm-hmm. And there were a couple of comic books that got really, really a little bit out of hand. But I mean, like I said, uh, you know, the comic books at that point, you just read them, and, uh, you know, because you knew they were comic books. Yeah. They were saying that it was affecting the, the children and their minds. And <laughs> I'm here. I worked in. Uh, you were talking about advertising. I worked as an advertising executive for one of the uh, major newspapers here in Philadelphia, and uh, so. Uh, you know, I, uh, yeah, to me, didn't hurt me at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, you grew up to be a productive human being. <laughs> I certainly am. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> oh, well. Well, Michael, if you can get your address to me, I will get some Higgins, sir, to you. Well, if you can, that would be nice. That would be lovely. And if you need anything, give me, oh, you'll have my email address. And then if I got anything in my collection, they would. Well, that is so great, and I'm so glad you called in. You might have been oh, I'm always listening. I'm always listening, and, I, and it's so sad because a lot of times I, I know you're you're asking people to call in. Some people, like you said, hey, they're listening, they're enjoying the show, and 
you know, and it's the same thing yeah. when Bill was on. It was just, I was just so interested in hearing about him. It's like I said, you know, you're absolutely correct. I didn't know any of that stuff about him, and I've been listening for a long time. And uh, I just never knew any of those things about him. And, uh, you know, because he, he normally comes on, he talks and has a good time, and he, he says what he has to say and to do what he has to do. And But uh, you just don't know the uh, the background of uh, Bill and his family and so forth, which, which I found very interesting because yeah. it's kind of like I was growing up the same way he was growing up. Uh huh. So that's. Well, I'm I'm glad you enjoyed it. It was fun for us too, or it was for me. I have to ask Walden. <laughs> I mean, it was fun, wasn't it? Of course, I. You know. Uh, okay. Um, I just wanted to double check because I was really having a good time. And yeah. you're right, Michael. There are things. It is really very very enjoyable. Yeah, Bill talked about uh, things that we've just never heard about before. Yeah, it's the same thing with any. Well, I I was 30 years in broadcasting too, other than in, in advertising in broadcasting. Mm hmm. And uh, that's where my whole career began. As a matter of fact, I was in show business, and uh, I did stand-up comedy with a, <clears throat> a partner of mine. And to show you how successful I was in the comedy field, uh, I did it for about uh, five years. And after that, I wasn't making any money. And to show you how successful I was, when I got out of show business, I was the only person who knew I got out of show business. <laughs> <laughs> So, so that got it. So, but I knew how to talk, how to sell, because I used to work in a uh, in a record store, and I was a manager of that record store, and I was able I sold uh, TVs and radios and record players and things like that. So, I was not a very uh, bashful person. So I hopped right away uh, into uh, a friend of mine was working at a radio station, and uh, I think I was making maybe five thousand dollars a year, and he said if. If everything goes right, he says, this year, I might do $17,000 $17, a year. I said, oh, my God. I said, what would you do with all that money? And I just thought that that was like the most money. He said, well, you can do this, too. And I said, I don't know how to do this. You can talk, can't you? I said, yeah, I can talk. He said, well, I said, you can do it. So I got a job in broadcasting. That was, that was the beginning of my career in advertising. And that's, that's what happens with a lot of people. You get, like Bill was talking about, he, one thing leads to another. And um, before you before you know it, uh, you're 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 in there and you're doing stuff that you know you you never thought you would be able to do, but you learn and you continue. And one thing leads to another, and one thing helps you get into another position. So that's the way life is. Mm-hmm. Life is good. And even if Mel Brooks says life stinks, it doesn't. <laughs> Life is good. <laughs> I agree. Well, I will get a CD out to you when everybody else's goes out in the mail as well. I'm a little bit late this time. That's okay. Don't worry. But just take your time because I know you're involved with all the other projects. You know, if you find it, you send it, okay? I will do that. Okay. God bless. Thanks so much for calling Thank in. Thank you, Michael. Bye-bye. Thanks, Will. Bye-bye. Good night. Good night. Hey, that was fun. 714 <laughs> Two oh seven one. Yeah, I think it's been oh since early in the year since Michael called in. So I'm glad he's out there, and I'm glad you're out there too. Make this is Pat- my first time ever talking with Michael, so it was a real treat for me. Make Patricia night by giving us a call. <laughs> yeah, right. Seven one four. And make Walden's night because if you don't call, he's going to have to answer two questions tonight. Double a double scooper. A double scooper. Yeah. 714-545-2071. And one night we're going to hear a call from Dennis. He keeps saying, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. (laughs) Ah, Dennis, go ahead. Think so. (laughs) I have some quotes for tonight. Quotes? Quotes? 
Yeah, quotes. Quotes? You know, like I like, I like to do? Oh, those things. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think I meant? Well, I was just trying to, I was trying to vamp until I could come up with a creative response <laughs> to make you laugh, but I wasn't able to do that. <laughs> so you wound up with, oh, those kind of quotes. <laughs> that was very good, Walton. Okay, well, here's what, I picked the universe tonight. Universe. Well, you mean, we might as well start, at, we might as well start small, that makes sense. Yeah, well, you know, this is true. I yeah. mean, we've, we've played around with the earth for a while. Let's go for the universe. From someone by the name of Harlan Ellison. His yeah, I quote think, is, I think most he's abundant things in the universe are hydrogen and stupidity. <laughs> How true. His quote is, programming today is a, ra is a race between software engineers striving to build bigger and better idiot-proof programs and the universe trying to produce bigger and better idiots. So far, the universe is winning. <laughs> this is cool. All right, now the third one is kind of long, but it's some, someone by the name of Douglas Adams. Douglas, if you're listening, please call in and grab credit for this. There is a theory which states that if ever anybody discovers exactly what the universe is for and why it's here, it will instantly disappear and be replaced by something even more bizarre and inexplicable. There is another theory which states this has already happened. Okay. You're, it's your cue to laugh, Walden. Uh, okay, I was, I was trying to figure out the logic here. Uh, that's okay, well, it, it's that we are the more bizarre and uh, inexplicable. Uh, okay. Theory says if anybody discovers what it's all about, we'll instantly disappear and be replaced by something more bizarre and inexplicable. And there's another theory that says it's already happened. Ah, uh, okay, okay. Right, now you can laugh. <laughs> you do. <laughs> there, well, that's, uh, that's okay. You've done better. I know. You've done better. And this one has nothing to do with the universe, but it kind of tickled me. Imagination is intelligence having fun. That's a great line. Isn't that cool? That's a great line. Does anybody out there have a favorite saying, good, bad, or indifferent? Not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> what? Oh, I guess I, my favorite one I always use, we never get out of the world scotch-free. No. No, for, you know, don't don't make it so serious. Nobody yeah. gets out alive anyway. Yeah, that's right. Indeed. Seven one four five four five two zero seven one. Patricia has trivia. Patricia, Patricia has trivia. She's got some Santa Claus information too. Hey, she yeah, got. We're, tight. we're we're almost into Christmas. Well, almost. Christmas is coming, and I'm just kind of preparing here. Christmas is coming. The yeah. old lady. Okay, yeah. I have two questions. All right. I'll first take one. I'll take the third one first. You'll take the third one first. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let me see if I can find it here. It's in here somewhere. Okay. First question in Pat Novak for hire. This is actually a a, a double question. For in Pat Novak for hire, what was Novak's nickname and who was Novak's boss? I think it was uh, Pat uh, Pat Patsy. What's his nickname? That's, that's, that's what Jocko used to Right, that's, where, that's the one I'm thinking. That's not the nickname. He, he would say, I'm Pat Novak. They call me 
And who was his boss? I don't know. We'd say, I work for Anthony J. Lyon. Yeah, yeah. Of the, lion of the Lion Detective Agency. The Lion's Eye. The Lion's Eye. Yep. He worked for Anthony yep. J. Lyon, yep. and he was the Lion's Eye. That's good. I, I just love that. You know, good. I got you, huh? Uh-huh. You did oh, it. Oh, my. You done it. 700. This is so you cool. You done it. I can retire tonight. Yeah, this is like the New York Mets win one in a row. <laughs> <laughs> That was a headline in New York. I'll have to dig up that paper and get the actual story that went along with it. But I think it was the New York Daily News. had a. They used to put the sports on the back page. And the whole back page was filled in block letters. And this was when the Mets were brand new and, the, and they were... They were a comedy team. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. wasn't. It wasn't apparently anything that anybody in baseball wanted to own up to. Mm -hmm. But on the bet, they won a game. I don't know who they beat, but I think they probably didn't want that in public anyway <laughs> to be beat by the Mets. And on the back page, this entire page was Mets win one in a row. Hooray! I would love to have known and spoken with the headline writer for that paper or one uh, they had more than one they always had more than one headline writer so okay that was your first question one down one down uh, th this one is, is kind of esoteric here there was a show that was sponsored and this was announced it was sponsored by quote 170 business managed electric companies what was the name of the show Anybody out there? Anybody there? <laughs> I thought you, I thought you went for a Sam. No, I was in deep thought there. Um, oh, okay, okay. When when I get dead air, I get nervous. Mm -hmm. You know. I know you do. All right, I'm well, going to repeat this. Yeah. When they announced the sponsor, mm -hmm. the sponsor was 170 business managed electric companies, and the show was. It was the electric company sponsored by Nelson Eddy, or some by Nelson Eddy. I don't know who was in it, but the name of the show was... Tell me. The Natural. Tell me. The Electric Hour. Yeah, I think that was the one called, was, was Nelson Eddy. Was it? I think that was it, yeah. Okay, now I have to go back and look. My gosh, two times. You're good. Oh, Finster ought to be very happy You're with this. You're good. It's Finster good. is the instigator in all of this. Oh, yeah. Finster is one of our chat room Yesterday USA family members, and he said we need to give Walden some tough questions. Oh, she did it tonight. Poor Walden. I'm so sorry. No, I think, I think, I think, I think you're, you're, you're going good. You're two going good. No, 702 out of 700? This is good. That's really super dandy. Good. This, this is good. Poor Walden. I'm so sorry. I thought, no, no, no. I really thought you'd get the electric hour because you're so good at deductive. Well, that's why I thought it was the electric company or something, but pretty close. Pretty yeah, close. Well, I guess it was pretty the electric close. industry. It was the entire industry. Yeah. The, the mother load. I don't know yeah. what you call it. But the, well, the head mahu. It's interesting. I, I guess you had nationally, 
FDA shows that represent the whole industry, sort of like what the railroad hour was. Mm-hmm. That sounds right. Yeah. 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 And this would be the electric hour. We never electric. had the soap hour or anything like that. No. But, um, but utilities. These are utilities that we're talking about. Huh. How about that? So what did you do this week, sir? Worked really, 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 really hard on stuff. You know, I just uh, haven't been... You know, I um, we had our friend Brian Henderson, who might call tonight, um, come down last weekend. You know, with the Spurback weekend, mm-hmm. and then we entertained Brian for a couple of days he, here, and then got him down to tip my buddy Tim Kanafa place, and they would record audio books. So the rest of the time, I was busy uh, checking with CBS and NBC and all looking looking for documentation about old radio shows and just trying to trying to get caught up in all that stuff. I um, sent an email to our friend Jim Cox. I'm going to interview him on Monday. Um, in a couple of weeks, everybody, we're coming up upon the 50th anniversary where all the daytime soap shows disappeared. And Jim Cox being one of the great authorities on that topic. And then there are three cast members who are still around from that era, who I'm going to call this week. Uh, two of them had their own show that went off the, went off the air the, the day after Thanksgiving, 1960. One being Terry King, who was the second Mrs. Burton, and a lady who I had on earlier this year, uh, Peg Lynch, of the couple next door. And then I'll get probably call Rosemary Rice. She was part of that. So I thought it'd be, we thought we'd do that. Now, was Peg Lynch, was her show considered part of the soap opera circuit? Her show was considered the daytime programming. CBS wanted something different than, than the washboard wash weepers at Jim Cox. So, so she kind of got caught up in the sweeps. Uh-huh. Oh, wow. Yeah. But she, you know, wrote 10,000 scripts. 10,000 scripts. scripts. That's a lot of scripts. I haven't asked you that many questions. I know. You wrote them out in scripts. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So, I'm going to... That's my goal, to give Peg a call. She shall talk about that. And, uh... Knowing Peg will probably hit on a bunch of other topics. But anyway, that's sort of what I've been working on last week. Sort of what I've been doing this week. And, um... You know, um... Just, just doing stuff. And stuff. Yeah. Well, I did something that Nolan Kenner suggested. <coughs> I had sent him a couple of Zorro shows uh-huh. to prove to him how awful they really were. And he said, they really are awful. <laughs> I said, I have more uh, to send you. I have a couple of more, really, not Zorro's, but other stuff. And I sent other stuff, and he said, you really have to think about putting all of these together in a collection for the auction. So that's where I spent some of my time this week. Um, I put in, in this folder, I put in Danger Dr. Danfield because that's Frank's pick. I think I mentioned that last week. Mm-hmm. But I have now, I have a show named, this is Nora Drake. Do you know oh, that one? Of course. I, I like Mrs. Nor- this is Nora Drake. Are you serious? 
period? Yeah, one of the daytime soap operas, yeah. It was a daytime soap opera. She was a nurse fooling around with a doctor, <laughs> which just cracked me up. But his wife caught on, and I mean, it... it I never caught I never figured that one out. See, that's that beyond my re- reasoning power. It, it, it was beyond my reasoning, yeah. too. I mean, the storyline was... Unreal. So yeah. I put that one in there. Okay. Then I found one called Nona from Nowhere. I never heard that. That's a new one on me. Okay. That one is a 1950 show. That's all I know. I only found four of them, but my goodness, they are worth listening to. And then I found one called Lives of Great Men from 1938. I've seen the title. don't know anything about the show. Yeah. 38 and 39. Well, it's narrated. It's a narration, excuse me, by a professor and an author. Uh, this is all wrapped up in one. Professor, author, lecturer, and a couple of other things, and author of many books they, they talk about. In every show, they, ask, they um, mention a different book. So I don't know. I didn't. I couldn't bear listening to all of these things. So I don't know how many books are listed. But this man, if he were on the lecture circuit today, he would be destitute before the end of the week. Unbelievable. You know, just monotone and talking about Giordano Bruno. Who the heck is Giordano Bruno? I don't know. I'd like to know, but he sure didn't help me in that direction. You know, that's that's something you don't hear about today. That you seen must have been fairly popular back in the thirties, forties. I have radio shows referring. Well, we're gonna go to see a lecturer. I mean. You don't people. You don't go have people today say, "I'm going to go see a lecturer today." That no. that that occupation is sort of gone by the board. You're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you, when you say lecturer, and it's in the traditional term, mm-hmm. people would sign up. They would show up. They would listen to somebody give a point of view or added information or a medical discussion. Uh, so many things, and we don't have that anymore. We have the internet. Yep, uh, which, is our libra- which is our library now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really sad. But I'm sure that the information in these things is interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, it meant I, I couldn't find it. I was so distracted by the awful delivery, so I put that one in there. And then I've got one called Family Doctor. And we've got things like um, error in diagnosis, the bright youngster, the flood, the fatty brain. Fatty brain. That, that sounds good. So that one's in there. Wow, okay. And then okay. I have a whole collection of, of short stuff. I've got, like, love tales, and this one is called The Fire Hazard. Yeah, gotta listen to this one, Walter. <laughs> yeah, gotta listen. Then we've got Captain Danger, huh. uh, Captain Harlow, Curtain of Time, the Saga of Shenandoah. These are really bad. Um, haunted. There was something about Haunted. That's just the name of the show from 1980. That was really bad. The Pineapple Picador. Does that one raise a familiar? Great, great title. That's about all I know about that. 
<laughs> no, from 1931, the Pineapple Picador. The Rescue Party, that's the name of it. Wow. I have a bunch more. Wow. They're, they're really awful. <laughs> so anyway, um, I put in the Green Valley Light. They're starting to make Blair of the Mounties look like, um, you know, a major Lux production here. <laughs> so, some of well, them are well, really have, awful. Have you listened to Magic Island yet? Have you put that in a category? Magic Island? Mm-hmm. I did not come across that. If I did, I bypassed it. Okay. What is Magic Island? It's a it's a it's a it's a serial. It's like a 180 episode serial. It's right up there, you know. It's a sci-fi kind of thing, mid 1930s. Okay. Been running the station a number of times, so I didn't know you had a. Uh, How bad is it? Well, I think. People who hear it once and hear it, see it on the calendar, yes, they, they start mimicking the show. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's good, huh? <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. That's funny. Did you ever play one? Uh, no. I, I recorded them off the Gaffman show when they ran it, but I have never played it on the air. I mean, I'm, you know, I know you're not fond of uh, Jack Armstrong, the All-American boy, so... When I always need a 15-minute show, I went to Jack Armstrong. Yeah, you really like Jack Armstrong. I do. It's not a bad show. No. Uh, there are a couple of regional accents. One of them, he talks really bad. <laughs> I, can, I can't. Which character? Give me the, well, it wouldn't make any difference. Well, I mean, you probably don't like uh, Blackbeard Flint. No. Or Blackbeard, or... Uh, no, and you know, it, it was really an okay show. It just isn't a buzz for me, and if I'm going to listen to a show, I'd rather listen to one that I really like. Uh-huh. Uh, well, it's hard for me to listen to the accent on on what, and it, I, don't, I don't mean accent in terms of a different language. It's a regional accent. It's like a Midwest or an upper Midwest twang. Yeah. And, and I have a hard time listening to that one. It, I normally don't have... Any, I, I usually love regional accents. They're so colorful, and, and they tell so much about where you're from and who you are. But this one, I don't do well with it. Yeah, Patricia, you haven't noticed people, Patricia's very sensitive with her ears. <laughs> because they're rabbit ears. They're, they're rabbit ears. And there's some, some voices that people think they're the greatest voices that just poor Patricia has a difficult time with. You know. Better, you better define that. Well, Frank Lovejoy. Oh, uh, oh. Yeah, a lot of people think he had the great voice of old-time radio. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just one that Patricia doesn't quite warm up to. And somebody wrecked it. You he, know. He was when we he got to Broadway is my beat. Mm-hmm. No, he was um, night beat. Night, night beat, yeah. When he got to night beat, somebody had wrecked his speech. That was his wife. He was mis. It, it wasn't a mispronunciation. It was a forced pronunciation. Correct. The absolutely almost British proper in a couple of words, and he was just a, a down home street guy. Right. With well, these oddball words getting stuffed in there, so well, it, it's. Well, it's interesting because his wife was the famous radio actress Joan Banks. Uh huh. And Frank got tired of being typecast. At being New York thug. And he said, Joan, I want to break this speaking pattern. 
to work with me. And, you know, she didn't really want to do it, but she, uh, she worked with him basically after dinner to break it. And that's sort of when he, once he broke it, uh, that's when he really created the fame in movies and things like that. Uh-huh. And that he had that speech pattern that you're pointing out uh, for Nightbeat. So. I wonder, sincerely, if it was more a confidence problem than a speech problem, because what he wound up with was not nearly as appealing as what he started out with. But if he thought it was better... He had more, I don't know, more confidence. Uh-huh, more confidence, more reassurance. Yeah. Sure. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But that brings me back to Escape, mm-hmm. show that I discovered this week, mm-hmm. which is in one of the collections because it's really a good show. Um, it. Uh, Have you looked at Dunning's book on that? Show, on that uh, not the history, of, but just look how sporadic that show you ran. Well, I'm, you know, when you mentioned the dates before, I'm looking at the dates, um, and it can't be consistent, but there are a lot from 1947. There, are, I, I did. I did. That it, it went away and came back. Right. It went away and came it back. Was a, it was basically a CBS filler. Uh-huh. And basically, whenever, if PBS could sell the time to some other show, they went with the other show. But when they figured they had time to fill, then they just brought Escape back. And here, it's, a, it's amazing considering this was sort of a filler. Uh, that CBS Baker just threw together, mm-hmm. it created quite a, um, a lot of respect in the old-time radio community here the last 20, 30 years or so. Well, I hope to tell you, I was really impressed, and he talked like a normal human being. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it made a difference, you know? Was there a certain show that caught your ear? From the escape well, I series? only I was only able to listen to I believe two of them. Uh-huh. So, and they were random. I mean, I just right. threw a dart and, and clicked and said, "We'll give this one a try." Right. But one of them was uh, he was out, and, and it was really funny. He was, uh, I guess, a first mate. Um, that's the best I could describe. He was a first mate on a sailing ship, and. The captain was a little not with it, mm-hmm. and they wound up in a fierce typhoon, fierce typhoon. And I caught on about halfway through the show that he was trying to portray the image that he had British roots. So we've got this guy, and he didn't have a pronounced northeast sound to him, but it certainly wasn't Midwest or, or the South. So, I mean, you knew he came from the Northeast, like New Jersey, New York, someplace up there. And every once in a while, he would drop the word bloody in there. I mean, this is a bloody storm. <laughs> it was so out of place with the, the, the words themselves were so out of place with the character he was portraying, and it was like every once in a while he'd remember that he was supposed to be British, and he'd drop a couple of words in there, or he would pronounce a word differently. So it was kind of humorous for that particular one. But the second one I listened to was really great. He was good. He was really good. Yeah, I, had, I had more than 200 of those. I've got, it looks yeah. like, 217 shows. Yep. About, that's about how many there's out there. 
So that's it. I've got a, a pretty good set then. Yeah, you do. So you do. anyway, that's on my uh, that's on my to listen list, mm. and it's an adventure. It's not spooky. It's not. It's really an adventure show. So that's a goodie. That's a goodie. And I listened to a couple of Pat Novaks. Good. I love Pat Novak <laughs> and um, uh, Jeff Reagan. The two uh -huh. of them, the two uh -huh. characters were so similar. Oh, yeah. And I guess they had the same writers, too, didn't they? Yeah, they sure did. Um, one came first. One, one I came think, first. I think... And I think it was Pat Novak, then Johnny Medell, Jeff Regan, and then Dragnet. I think that's the order. Yeah, well, Dragnet was, was last. Mm -hmm. There was something that happened between Johnny Madero and the next one, and I don't mean between the two shows, but the, the writers, I, I'll have to just erase everything I said. There was, there was a significant challenge, and that was why more than one similar character was created, and I think it was between Pat Novak and, and Jeff Reagan. They had discontinued one show. They wanted to pick it up in another right. station. I, I think basically because one started in San Francisco, and when he made it move to Hollywood, and they created a, a similar they show. Wanted, they wanted to take Pat Novak with them, right? and they couldn't, so right. they created Jeff Reagan, right. or the other way around. I'm not sure which. I'll, I'll I think, find that I, out and I have think, it next week. I think you but got that's it. how come both characters are so similar. Very much so. And just so much fun. I just love the word pictures they draw. One, I was laughing out loud. One of the shows that I listened to, mm -hmm. was, you know how he had this kind of, like, life is too much trouble mm -hmm. voice. Everything. And he's saying, this guy was coming up, and he's a little guy, just a little guy. It's a jockey. It looks like a <laughs> golf bag with arms. <laughs> a golf bag with arms? I mean... That's four words, mm -hmm. and you've got an instant image. Yeah, I think he was the writer, and I forget the name right off the bat, that uh, Jack wanted to write the audition for Dragnet, and I think uh -huh. he did. Because it was so good with words, and it fit Jack's speaking style. Well, I, I hope to tell you. <laughs> it, just, it just has this... Uh, the best I can describe it is a voice that says life is too much trouble. <laughs> he just kind of puts up with it as he goes along, but he's good. Oh, my goodness, the writers were wonderful on that. I just love that show. And Jeff Reagan, too. Both of them. 714-545-2071. What is the worst show you ever heard? What is the best gift you ever gave? And did you ever attend an auction, an honest-to-goodness auction? Because we've got the auction coming up on Yesterday USA, and both of our shows are auction shows tonight. We might sneak one in pretty soon, everybody, if we don't get a call. Mm-hmm. You know? And then I have some Santa Claus information. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. So? Should we, should we prep for a fibber? Why don't we just go ahead and sneak in a show? Okay. Assuming you can wait for three seconds for me to pull up my, <laughs> my page that I should have had pulled up already. Any, any, mini, Looking for a paper to tell. I have. I have. I, I didn't tell you which one 
I would like first. Oh, I thought I just assumed that what the email you sent me was the first one first or the second one first, but I'm prepared either way. <laughs> well, that made a whole lot of sense. Which one do you have queued up first? Well, you know, I have my cassette queued up for the 1940 and my CD queued up for the 1945, so it doesn't matter. Well, let's go with the 1940. You're ready. And that one is Wallpapering the Living Room. Mm which is a little deceptive because at the outset, we're at an auction. That's where they got the wallpaper. Um, they wind up, of course, bidding and buying wallpaper. Um, they're downtown, just strolling along on a beautiful day. Molly says she loves auctions. Fibber says he hates auctions. Molly wins and into an auction they go. But there's a fun twist in this one. Molly and Fibber are both the cause of the chaos that came out of their attending the auction. Horatio K. Boomer, the um, W.C. Fields voice. Yes, yes. Yes, my boy. Yeah. We've got $3 over here. <laughs> Master at manipulation of an auction. It really is a good line. He normally doesn't um, make me laugh or do but the but the routine is really good on this and the McGee's go home with enough wallpaper to cover the entire house. But Fibber decides he's gonna do the living room only. Teeny is in this one and, and she is priceless in this one. I really got some good laughs out of that. So we are talking about wallpapering the living room from June eleventh, nineteen forty. Wallpaper at the auction. They came home. Fibber's gonna wallpaper. And I've got three questions for you when we get back that relate to the show, and whoever answers one of them correctly gets a CD. Here we go. Wallpaper here in the living room from June 11, 1940. The Johnson White Program with Silver McGee and Molly. of Johnson's Wax, Johnson's self-polishing glow coat, present Marion and Jim Jordan as Fibber McGee and Molly with Bill Thompson, the King's Men, and Billy Mills Orchestra. The show opens with you. of your hometown, you who like to meet and pass the time of day with the neighbors, 
You who know the sweet loveliness of a day in June. You who... You who, Mr. Winter? You who... Oh, well, anyway, here, window shopping down 14th Street in Wistful Vista, we find Ever McGee and Molly. <laughs> Fibber and Molly will be back in just a moment. Last year, the New York and San Francisco World's Fairs drew millions of visitors. This year, they're out to break last year's records, both in attendance and entertainment. If you attend the New York Fair, you should certainly spend some time in the fascinating town of tomorrow. The 15 model homes here are filled with inspirations of home building, home decoration, and home furnishing. Now, do you know how the floors, furniture, and woodwork of every one of these homes are protected and beautified? You've guessed it with Johnson Wax Polishes exclusively. Genuine Johnson's Wax on floors, furniture, woodwork, paneling. Johnson's self-polishing glow coat on kitchen linoleum, rubber and asphalt tile floors. Johnson's Cream Wax on furniture polish, on furniture and tabletop. Even Johnson's car new on the new cars displayed on the ground. Johnson's Wax Polishes protect the floor and wood surfaces of the great majority of all World's Fair buildings and exhibits. So you see, you can't go wrong yourself when you insist upon Johnson Wax Polishes for your own home. McGee, look at the mess this room is in. I told you you'd never get this room papered. I know what was wrong, Molly. It was the paste. What? What was wrong with the paste? How do you expect me to paper the living room with library paste? Speaking for the makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat, inviting you all to join us again next Tuesday night. Good night. And this is the National Broadcasting Company. I guess no station ID on that. Hello there, Patricia. Hello there, Walden. And that was... Show number one about auctions. Show number two is about auctions, too. Boy, I think I'm overburning this auction thing. What do you think? Nope, I don't. You don't? I well, don't. Good. Okay, because I've got other stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you thought you were going to get off easy, right? No, because you know why? You're, why? Prepa- you're prepared. Oh, you're too much fun. You're prepared. That, we were just talking a minute ago. That was a very peculiar ending. It was. We were talking about Don Quinn. Either did he have writer's block, or he was having so much fun he didn't know how to cut, shut off the show. Rather than it, it didn't know how to end the show because he couldn't come up with an ending, or he wrote too much 
And instead of going back to cut out in order to create an ending, mm -hmm. maybe he just said, that's all, folks. We didn't know how to get out of this. I just thought it was a really interesting way to end a show. I had never heard that before. So that got me thinking. What skill set you think needed to be a radio writer? Oh, you needed a sense of humor. Okay. You needed to be able to work under pressure. Right. You needed to be able to put yourself in the shoes of the characters so that each time you changed characters, you were actually that character speaking. You weren't speaking for the character. The character was speaking and you were typing the words. Right. <clears throat> and I think those are the, the major ingredients. Um, it, it, having a sense of reality, how people interact with each other, how they talk with each other, what kind of arguments they would have, made, they were a reflection of life with a little hyperbole. They kind of built it up a little bit. I mean, Saber would not go to the extremes if this were a real, I don't think, if this were a real <laughs> situation. And Molly probably would not be the most tolerant in the world, which she is in this show. I mean, she puts up with everything. And that's a little bit unrealistic, but that's the fun and fantasy part of it. But Fibber and Molly, and in all of the other good shows, Fibber and they, that mimic this particular technique, the characters talk to each other as if we were truly listening in on a conversation. Right. There, there's, there's that gift, that conversational style. It's a rhythm, it's conversational style, and it's one of the things that I used to teach writers that the best way to understand how to put together dialogue is to listen to it. Go have a cup of coffee at the local Perkins or IHOP and sit and eavesdrop the kinds of conversations that people are having, and that's what you write. Though, also, as you, as you say, the pressure aspect, can you imagine... Having to, to having to deliver a script within a few days. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you, you didn't have the luxury of saying, oh, I need a couple more hours to put something together. You, you, right. you had a... To extend the deadline, please. Yeah. <laughs> no no deadline extension. Yeah. What was... It, what was uh, I, I don't want to say baffling. Amazing, I guess is the, is the best word. What, what is amazing to me is... Not only did Don Quinn and so many other writers create a script in such a short period of time, they had to come up with the storyline. It wasn't like somebody came in the door and said, we need to do something with wallpaper this week, and he built the story. He had to come up with the wallpaper idea himself. And that, that might be half the battle, right? If somebody came in and said, this is what I need done, it's a whole lot easier than thinking something up yourself. <laughs> so he he had twice the work. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. 714-545-2071 our number. Give us a call. We'd love to talk to you. And it's quarter after two in the morning. Patricia time. Patricia time. Yep. Yeah. Hold on. <laughs> and uh, we'd love to... Well, how do you participate? You know, I I looked at I checked the weather here, and I, I, we do have snow in Minnesota. So you guys shouldn't be out running around playing at this time in the morning. I think you should be in. I saw the news reports about the snow. Yeah, it was coming down. Wow. Hello there. How are you? You are on with Patricia. 
Well, you want to know what time it is? My time? Ron's Thank you. Ron, we've missed you. How are you? You know, I heard part of your interview with uh, Bill Braggs. It was really nice. I I learned things I didn't know about him being the only child and and all kinds of stuff. And uh, that was real interesting. Then I had to stop because I had to play some music uh, with a couple of people. And uh, so I just got home and I thought I'd say hello and let you know that now you're only five hours ahead of Hawaii. That's right. We're off daylight savings time now. And um, Walden, you're only two hours ahead now, and so. So that means if I swim, I should make it in two hours, right? Yeah, because <laughs> so, you're only two hours ahead. <laughs> this is Walden logic night tonight. Yeah, yeah, a very, very good logic, Walden. I, I must. <laughs> you know, it's a little scary, Ron, when it begins to make sense. You know, <laughs> it makes me. Just want to do a reality check. Yeah, I, I don't blame you. I, I probably would think that you'd have to do a reality check. First of all, to see if he's for real. <laughs> right, yeah. Pinch him. See if he's real. <laughs> ah, see if he's real. That's funny. Ron, you understand, of course, that going out and you know doing presentations and working and taking jobs and playing on the weekends is cutting into our time with you. Hey, listen, you know, I thought that, uh, you know, I think you better switch to another night. No, I'm only kidding. Um, but you're right. Um, I always look forward to, to hearing the two of you banter with each other. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm just grateful that I can catch you where I can, you know. Now, how's your schedule for the next six weeks? Are, we gonna be, are you going to be busy all, all the next um, six weekends? I think the 27th looks good, so I'll be around. But next Saturday, yeah, I'll be kind of... Oh, what's on the agenda for tomorrow night, my friend? Well, I haven't really put anything together yet. So I'm still, I'm still up for grabs. So, <laughs> you know, that's the beautiful thing about a live show. I can work on stuff. I got a bunch of, Ray, a bunch of new Ray Bream interviews. I might stick, stick some of those in. Wow, that's neat. Yeah. How did you get them? Uh, Larry Gaffman's been sending them to me, so he he recorded a whole bunch of them. So I might go ahead and uh, play one of those. So, um. Hey, by the way, um, Walden, you yeah. know me, Corliss Archer with Janet Waldo. Uh huh. I talked to Janet this week. Yeah. You did. Uh huh. Now I'm kind of jealous. Well, I know, but you know somebody has to do the dirty job. There <laughs> you go. Um. How's the circulation for Carlos Archer's shows? There's not that many of them around. Um, why? Under 20? I don't know. I don't know why. Uh, I bet Patricia doesn't have that many either, really. I don't have any because nobody has ever asked for them. I know. Does but, Ron want some? Where do you find them, Patricia? Oh, I have underground caves. She wears a helmet. Amazing how you find stuff. She dig, dig, dig. I was really pleased with the 20 questions uh, shows. You know, it really, it, I, I, I'm, I'm, I was always impressed with the panel and being able to guess, you know, the answer 
within 20 questions. Well, essentially, I'm, I'm hope I been emailing with Bobby McGuire because I want to get him on the show. But I don't know, Mopey, that was basically the family dinner game. And so the three of them, the mom, dad, and the son, put it on the radio. Ah. So, and she have another quote. And, and also, Patricia was able to find a heck of a lot of Phil Harris, Alice Fish shows without Rexel, you know, with with RCA and French and whatever. Champ. She do a great job. She was so good with that, Ron. I mean, it's amazing how you found her. <laughs> I don't know how you find her, but she, she must do a lot of them. <clears throat> Tell the truth here. I had most of them in my files, but I had never separated them out. So I listened to the beginning of every single show in my files, and I separated them into folders. And I said, Ron is going to be so proud and so impressed. Yeah, I was. <laughs> and you're going to think I went out and, and found them individually, but I didn't. They were all in my files. I had just never listened to them to separate them by... Advertiser. But you know what, though, I, what, what impressed me was, you know, we had talked about this a, a, about a month or so, over a month ago, and I thought, you, you know, I, I, to be honest with you, I kind of forgot. And well, so when it came, I thought, oh my gosh, you know, it was like Christmas in um, October. Oh, cool. <laughs> We're going to have, if Walden has his way, we'll have Christmas all year long. He's the person who wants to put a star on a Christmas tree and just leave it in the corner and keep it there forever. Anyhow, Christmas is a real wonderful part of um, our year calendar, you know? Uh-huh. Yep. The music, the, the stories, and everything else is just remarkable, you know? It's, it gives you a wonderful goosebump feeling, you know? Huh? Do you know what I just got in a couple of weeks ago? I located, and I'm so happy with it. I have the Boris Karloff narration of How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Really? Yeah. <laughs> are you... Are you um, and also, the year there was no Santa Claus. He did both of them. Was it scary? I beg your pardon? Was it scary? scary? No, it was, he was very good with children's stories. His, he is the voice of How the Grinch Stole Christmas on the television presentation. This is a recording of his Grinchhood. Oh, and how did you find that? Oh, no, I never mind. Oh, I was in one of my underground caves and <laughs> kind of poking around. I do that at least once a week. You know, you're, 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 you're something um, amazing because... Um, Bill Bryce, who mm-hmm. so no, nope, he never met me. Yeah, and Walter is the only one that's been fortunate. Uh huh. And I'm I'm the pinup girl for the community. <laughs> <laughs> he says that. That's right. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we're gonna do this one day, Ron. We will find a way to meet somewhere, 
and be able to sit down and break bread, which is a very sacred thing to me. I mean, I'm, you know, when I say sit down and break bread. Um, cinnamon bread, right? Cinnamon bread, any kind. But, you know, having a meal with someone is a very special occasion for me. I think so. I, I agree. Mm-hmm. It's not just a pick up, have a sandwich in the cafeteria type thing. It really is something special. Only Miss Brooks can have a sandwich in the cafeteria and expect Mr. Boynton to pay her bill which <laughs> and charge you for this sandwich. I'll pick it up, but um, it'll be 50 cents, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was so funny. Well, now that you're only five hours ahead and huh? two hours ahead. So how was your week so far, Ron? Everything, everything else was good? It's been fine. It's been fine. Um, I've listened to um, some I mean, there was some nice Lux Radio Fair shows that I heard. Um, I'll be seeing you. If... Yeah, that's a great Christmas one. Oh, that was so nice. Dorothy McGuire, yeah. Yeah, and there was one more that about this blind girl um, who, um, I guess she got her eyesight back later on. Oh, what was the name of the movie? And it, was in, it was one of those Lux Radio Fair mm-hmm. presentations. And it was really good. And, um, in the in the radio production, uh, it was um, Donna Michi that starred in uh, Obsession. Maybe Johnson, Obsession. Oh. Donna Michi was a very good actor. Yeah, he was. He was very good. Well, the two of you, I just want to check in, let you know that I'm still breathing. And I have some questions here for you. Let's go with one of them. Let's see how good I am tonight. Oh, yeah. You want a hard one? Oh, no. Well, whatever. Go go for it. <laughs> let's go for it. Okay. Um... Okay, that's good. <laughs> you can say yes to that one. All right. I'll give you one that has two possible answers. So, I mean, that, incre- that doubles your chances. Two possible answers on this. Who was Bessie? Bessie? B e s s i e s as in Sam. Was she the cow? <laughs> well, you know, no. Huh? I mean, a lot of people called Bessie the cow, but there, there were two characters that I know of. There might have been more. Walden will help us on that one, but at least two characters we know in fairly common shows who were named Bessie. Mm-hmm. Name one of the shows, and I'll let you know. One is Fibber McGee and Molly. Oh, that's right. Oh, you can do it. You can do it. I know you can. Oh, my gosh. That's okay. I'm stumped. What was the the other show? And the other show was uh, The Great Gildersleeve. That's right. Bessie was a secretary, right? There you go. Now, that's not one I would have thought yet. I would have thought you would have gotten the other one. Yeah, he was, she was Gildersleeve's secretary. That is exactly right, and I swear I would have thought you would have gotten the first one and not the second one. You surprised me. The first one, Walden, who is Bessie and Superman Gee and Molly? Oh, now yeah, the old-timer girlfriend. Yeah. That's right. Ron? And and Bessie and the great Gildersleeve, who was she in private life? Oh, you told me that one, Uh Ron. Who's she in a private life? Yep. 
divorce. She would help Perry's wife. Really? Yeah. For that, I didn't know. Yeah, Gloria Holiday. Uh-huh. Yeah. Really? Yep. Honestly, truly. For a while, yeah, that was his wife that played that role for a while. See, I don't go around checking these facts that Walden gives us, Ron, so I trust him. I mean, I really trust him. I trust you, Walden. I know. <laughs> I know. You know what really um, surprised me? Elliot Lewis was married to Cassie Lewis. Right. right. And then, then, after a while, he married Mary Jane Croft. Right. Right. Now... Did they get divorced or Cassie Lewis died? Which was it? She divorced and then she died. Um, uh, Kathy Lewis was her, really her true maiden name, and then she married Elliot Lewis. Kathy was a band singer who got into radio acting. She married uh, Elliot. And pretty much after the radio series on stage was over, uh, they got a divorce. And she was not very well. And she died in 1968 at age 50. You know, she was a very, very good actress. Uh-huh, very good. But she was not always very well. Um, she appeared like on My Friend Irma that she had to uh, not be uh, available. Um, and Joan Banks used to take her place. That's right, Joan Banks. Even uh, Mary, Mary Ship. Um... Yeah, yeah, Miss Baldwin. Right. In Life with Luigi. Right. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but, but she's one of my all-time favorite radio actors. She had a great, to me, a very warm, very good voice for radio. Cassie Lewis? Mm-hmm. I got to tell you, though, um, we watched the Fibbing and Molly show with Cassie Lewis as Molly. Yeah, and Bob Sweeney as Fibber. Yeah, it didn't just, it didn't cut it. No, no. It was 1959, just didn't make it. No, it didn't make it. No. And I was disappointed that in the My Friend Irma movies, they used Diana Lynn as the actress instead of um, Kathy Lewis, you know, in in her movie. Right. With Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis. Right. I think that was pretty early when the movie came out, I think, but maybe I'm wrong. But I think the television shows they used, I think they used Kathy Lewis on on TV. Okay. Yeah, but she was a very, very good actor. Yeah. She could act like in a yeah. dramatic role. She could act in a comedy role. Right. No. She was lovely. Well, the two of you, I have fun. Oh, oh, wait, wait, wait. What am I going That's to do? the hell the camel's back, you know? You know, you know he, 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 wants, he hasn't asked a question yet. What am I going to send you? Oh. Why don't you send me yourself? Why there you go. go. <laughs> I, I have to put more stamps on than I can afford. Oh, no, put free matter for the blind. Okay. Will you have my bail money? <laughs> it will take you about six months to get here, but... <laughs> I won't even be huggable. There won't be anything left to me. What what kind of shows are you in the market? Well, now, let's see. Now, let's have some fun. Uh, let's uh, pick up. Um, oh, yeah, let, let, let's pick up. Okay, let's pick up. What do you want to... Now, now you, were, you were away from the 
radio or your computer for a while, and you might not have heard that I have now amassed a collection of really bad shows. <laughs> yeah. Um, that, that's an option tonight, and I got a new show called Escape, which is really cool. Um, it's an adventure show. Um, I think I have some new, I know I do have some new World War II stuff. Um, quiz shows. Are you into quiz shows? Well, I take it or leave it. <laughs> you can take it or leave it. Well, what kind of quiz shows are you talking about? Well, I've got um, a handful of oddballs, like two of Double or Nothing, three Can You Top This, one... That's good. That's great. But then I've also got some Dr. IQ. Okay, that's good. And The Answer Man. All right, why don't you make a uh, CD of quiz shows, and that's fine. That's what I will do. And you've already got the quiz kids, right? Or do you? Do you have the quiz kids? No, not really. Well, some. Yeah, some. Yeah. But, but double nothing and stuff, I don't, I don't have any of those. I'll, I'll put together the oddball ones for you. You put whatever. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> Well, it's been nice talking to the two of you. Oh, I'm so glad you called in and that you're okay. We've missed you. Oh, well, I, I think about you guys, so yeah, I, I, I miss you guys, too. But you take care now. All right, Ron. Talk to you next week. Aloha. Aloha. Yeah. Here's our buddy, Ron. Always fun to talk to him. Yeah. Got a great sense of humor. Absolutely. 714-545-2071. Do you want, I think I'll leave the auction temporarily and we'll hop over to Christmas. All right. There is a place in Indiana named Santa Claus. Hey. Santa Claus, Indiana. Mm -hmm. And what is really nifty is that Santa Claus, Indiana post office will postmark your letters and Christmas cards and send them out for you from there. So you put the stamps on them, and you send your bundle of cards or whatever you want to send out, and they run them through their stamper, and it goes out, and whoever receives your card gets it from Santa Claus, Indiana. That's so neat. That is just so neat. That's a neat, neat And deal. I just happen to have all of the information. So you want to run it? How do you do this? You send it, yeah, I thought you'd never ask, Walden. Oh, well. Right, go ahead, ask me you, again. How do you do this, Patricia? Well, I've just got it right here. Thank you for asking. Okay, and I'll repeat this later because I don't expect people to run around with a pencil. But um, in the information, let's see. Each year they have a holiday postmark contest in the high school. The high school students actually do the artwork and they have a contest and they choose the best one. This year, every year there's a new graphic design. <clears throat> and this year um, is by an artist who graduated from the school. And they kind of made an exception. She's, you know, kind of a special person, I guess. So it, the post office person, oh, I hadn't okay, the post office person, person who is Postmaster Marion Baldack says the Santa Claus holiday postmark has become the most popular in the nation over the past two decades. Postal patrons, patrons worldwide request the picture postmark each year, and many customers traditionally drive 
hundreds of miles to personally obtain the famous cancellation on their holiday mail. They actually bring their envelopes to that post office. Wow. Hand deliver them. I just think that is so cool. So anyway, we've got, I, don't, I can't, let me see, it doesn't say what the design this year is. So I guess it's a surprise. I don't know. Uh, they, they didn't have that information up on the website. But here are the instructions, and I will repeat them later. You need to leave at least a 2-inch by 4-inch space in the stamp area for the picture postmark. It's that large. You know, it's like a, a special edition or a, a first-day issue in the post office. You get these great big doohickeys. Um, I'm assuming that it's, well, one should never assume. It doesn't say two inches by four inches in what direction. So I'm going to say four inches north and south, two inches east and west. What do you think? Maybe it's the other way around. Well, I almost. The other way I around, have, I have four inches with two inches deep. Well, I would think four inches up it's, and down, north and south, and two inches the other way. Yeah. East and west. The north and south is the way they do the first issue mm -hmm. amps. You know, you, you get this long panel, right. or it's a big block of something or other on the left-hand side of the envelope. But, um, gee, for a Santa Claus picture. I think I would just, I would give it almost 4x4 four four and let them. I was just going to say, <laughs> use 4x4, four four and I'll see if I can get some confirmation information here. But it says, that, that's all it says, allow at least a 2-inch by 4-inch space in the stamp area for the picture postmark. So I'll have to call and find out. Um, <laughs> which direction the four inches go. Okay, apply postage to the cards or letters. I mean, you have to pay for your own postage <laughs> things here. <laughs> they don't, they're not going to do everything for you. So you have to put the postage, you have to put stamps on the envelopes or cards before mailing them to the post office. And it says if you wish to mail your Christmas cards to the post office, you have to package them with the postage stamps on them already in a sturdy envelope or box. And I have the address. I'll give it, but if you want the address, send me an email, and I will email the address to you. My email is floridawriter at hotmail.com, and the post office in Santa Claus, Indiana, is your package is addressed to the postmaster, Santa Claus Station. I just love this. Oh. Santa Claus, Indiana, 47577. Nine. So that's Postmaster at Santa Claus Station, <laughs> Santa Claus, Indiana, 47579. And they do this for free. I mean, you don't have to pay anything. This is a regular post office. <clears throat> it's the town post office, and um, they've just got extra people there doing, I guess they have to do hand stamps on this because it's a special issue. I wonder how many people live in Santa Santa. Santa Claus. Santa Claus, Indiana. Indiana. It's a very small town. Uh -huh. um, gee willikers, I'll, I'll go back. I pulled some information down. I'll see if I, mm. I still have it. Okay, it says, um, the picture postmark is available on working days between December 1st all the way up until December 24th. They will stamp this as long as it's a, uh, a work day for the post office. Um, the picture postcard must be requested by the postal customer. So you can't send your cards in <laughs> for somebody else. It has to be you. And they're not going to do it. I guess it, what they're saying is they don't do it automatically. If you want the picture postmark, uh, the, the postmark, the picture postmark for Christmas, 
you have to specifically ask for that. Otherwise, it will just go through their regular stamping with Santa Claus as the um, place of origin. <clears throat> but they do this for free. I think this is just so fabulous. There is no charge for postmarking. However, there is a limit of 50 picture postmarks, hand cancellation, per person, per day. So for 24 days, you could show up with 50. That's 1,200 cards you could have done. A single person could have 1,200 cards done. Isn't that incredible? Yeah, I think that might take care of Frank for Christmas list. <laughs> it might take care of Frank for Christmas list. But, but that means if you're mailing them to Santa Claus, Indiana, and you have more than 50, you just package them up and mail them like every two days. And uh, you will get this very special postmark that changes every year. So it's a limited edition once a year. I just think that is so That's cool. That's pretty neat. That's really neat. Yeah. So if you would like to know how to get a special Santa Claus postmark, a picture postmark from Santa Claus, Indiana, if you would like to send your cards through the Santa Claus, Indiana post office, Send an email to me. I will give you the address, and there is also a phone number you can call for information. The postmaster or postmistress in this case, um, but postmaster is it, it is grammatically correct, even though we say other things. Postmaster is correct, and they even give you a phone number to call if you've got some questions. So you know these are really neat people, and they're doing that as a gift to everybody. Hooray! I think that's so much fun. Hooray for Santa Claus. Hooray for end. Santa Claus. Yeah. So, I didn't get a chance, forgive me people, my goodness, I didn't get a chance to ask the three questions about our Fibber McGee and Molly show. And boy, this is really rough to do to people. I'm so sorry. Okay, we had the show, Wallpapering the Living Room. And let's, let's put that on hold. Hello there, you're all Patricia. Good morning. Good morning, Fred. Hi, Fred. Are you going to bed, or are you getting up, or haven't you been anywhere? I haven't been to bed yet. I'm getting there. <laughs> you were, you were, we're putting you to sleep? No, we're working at it. Okay. Oh, I think you probably will in the end, yes. Yes. How are you doing? What's How that? are you? you? You had a terrible cold for a couple of weeks. Oh, getting better. Getting better. Cough still seems to be hanging on, though. Well, I'll tell you, you know, I don't ever remember growing up or in in my previous years hearing about so many people having these lingering problems. You know, you get a cold and it just doesn't go away. You get chest coughs. I don't recall that happening as frequently. I mean, now you get a cold and you can plan on it visiting right through the holidays. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I don't know. I, I mean, I was thinking the same thing the other day, but, yeah, some of that I attribute to age. Yeah, I think some of it you got to attribute to the condition of our planet. We, we, never, we never attribute anything to age. Well, then we'll go with our planet. That's, well, I think going with the planet is pretty cool. <laughs> well, it's conducive to healing as it used to once was, I don't think. Yes. I had some questions for tonight. Did you hear my questions? No, I didn't. Well, the questions are, did you ever attend an auction? And the second question was, what was the best gift 
ever gave, whether it was Christmas, birthday, or anything, what was the best gift you ever gave to someone, including yourself? And the third, what is the worst radio show you ever heard? Can you answer one of them? Oh, I can answer three of them, actually. Oh, good. I think I've ever heard a bad radio show. So I can't answer that one. Okay. Uh, the gift one... Well, a couple possibilities. Um, I've spoiled my nephews ever since they've been born, my, my younger brother's kids. Uh, so I've bought them things like a telescope, uh, $300 Red Sox desk was pretty cool. Wow. Uh, but I think probably the, the two gift ones, though, probably have to be my, the ones I'm most proud of, probably have to be my mother and my grandmother. And my mother, I was about eight years old. It was, it was the first time I ever bought something for somebody with my own money. Huh? And was, I bought her out of the old Sears and Roebuck Christmas catalog. A uh, squirrel, cast iron squirrel nutcracker. <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh, did she like it? Well, she pretended she did. <laughs> Well, I would have loved it. That sounds yeah, really neat. Well, you can only crack one nut at a time with it. You, well, you lift the tail up and you put the nut, the tail and the mouth around like an axle thing. Uh-huh. So you lift the tail up and you put the nut in the mouth and then you push the tail down and the mouth chopped on the nut and crack the nut. That is so adorable. What was it made out of? It's cast iron. It's real heavy. Very, very precious piece that would go for a lot of money today. Actually, I sold it on eBay. You sold it? Yeah, about five years ago. I did. I sold it. You just broke my heart. No. Wonderful I gift. Quite, yeah, I don't worry about. You it. sold it on eBay. Yeah, I did. I sold it on eBay. <laughs> oh, Walden, help me here. <laughs> I think they go. Well, that was so much for an emotional attachment on that one, huh? Oh, but there was for my mom. You know. I wasn't emotionally attached to the thing. That's right. As I grew older, I thought it was pretty ugly, so. Yeah. I do something else. Your tastes change. This is true. Adults look at things differently. Yeah. I don't think Children. I could have given up my, my male squirrel nutcracker thing. I wouldn't have given my squirrel up. I did. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, people go to court and sue for emotional damages. You sold yours on eBay. <laughs> well, you know, I'm changed. Um, the second thing, though, was my grandmother. I was in my 20s. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't go shopping on Christmas Eve. Sorry, Fred, I think it's going to be one of these things that's going to hit me all night long. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we have to talk about your grandmother. Help me here. Uh, anyway, I, uh, you're going to love this, too. Um, <laughs> this is another eBay story. <laughs> it was Christmas Eve. <laughs> I couldn't find a damn store open anywhere. And no. So I'm looking everywhere, and I'm just about ready to give up. And my buddy up the road here had, like, a discount store in his garage, and he was open. Yeah. So I stopped in. I bought this 
solid brass unicorn statue. Okay, you're really into me. I don't know. Here. Okay. My grandmother loved it. Absolutely loved it. How cool um, is it? The biggest, biggest deal out of it. Kept it for the last 15 years of her life, you know. Every time she made a move, it made a move with her. How, how big was this thing? It was, oh, oh, I don't, I'm bad at estimating, but probably 18 inches tall. Sizable. Yeah, and it had a base, you know, so probably nine inches wide, maybe six, eight inches wide on the base. Well, again, I'm, I'm bad at estimating, but yeah. it was, you put it on top of your TV set, you know, so uh -huh. um, and then I got it back when uh, she made her last move into a nursing home. Uh-huh. And she was on her way out at that point, and so my uncles, uncles gave it back to me, so. That was pretty cool. That went where? That's so bad eBay, too. Right, well, you know, that, that one, it doesn't sound like it had the emotional... Well, it wasn't. You know, it wasn't like the first gift I ever bought anybody, you know, so... That was the squirrel. I mean, that, that was really an emotional investment in this gift. Stopping at a garage on the way home for a unicorn didn't qualify like the, like the squirrel did. No. You sold it on eBay. Yeah, yeah I did. Uh, that was the first question you asked. I forgot. Oh, God. I don't remember. <laughs> um, what was the, well, the first one was what was the best gift, and did you ever attend an auction? You must have. Vermont is loaded with auctions. Oh, yeah, my father, after he became, when he had to retire, he was about my age from the baker business. Uh -huh. This is why I do eBay now, because he, um, doctor said it's too much work. So you got to find something else that's going to kill you. So he sold the bakery, and he went into the garage sale and used furniture business. So he would go to auctions all the time. Cool. Did you go with him? Yeah, I did once. I did. Yeah. And I... You think back on it now, and I mean, you think what an idiot. I was only about seven or eight years old, nine years old. Uh, well, maybe a little bit older, not much, but I, I was so proud of the fact the only thing I ever bought at auction, too, was a box of friggin' paper. A box of that kind of paper? Paper. Yeah, yeah. it was just paper. Paper. And yellow line paper, and the old math paper used to get it a. You see, in elementary school, you used to get the special math paper. Uh-huh. Well, if you ever did, it was the one color. It was smaller than an eight and a half by 11. It was like a gray color. I don't think I've ever seen that. You ever saw that? I don't think so. Well, I grew up on that paper. We used to get it for, it was called math paper. We used to use it for math at, at school. And then I had the old yellow line paper. There was a bunch of that in there. Do you remember how much you paid for it at the auction? Was it much? Like, it was like three bucks, and I got, I don't know, like 20 pounds of paper. <laughs> the, old, the old writing paper, remember those, where you had the little dotted line through the center? No. Just making your letters? Oh, you never had any of that stuff? No. Oh, wow. You didn't go to school, right? I guess not. <laughs> I went. I went to an unusual school.
school for the first three years, like first, second, and third grade, okay. people learned how to print. They started cursive writing in first grade. Oh, well, this is, I remember this stuff for cursive writing because it was, uh, it had a little dot through the, to the middle of the line. So, like, all your lowercase letters. Oh, I understand what you're talking about now. Sure. Yeah, that kind of paper. We you practice writing your letters and stuff. Had a whole bunch of that. Uh, yellow line paper, white line paper, the math paper. You had enough to paper the living room. Oh, yeah. And then the old, you know, just the other drawing paper. There was a bunch of stuff in there. What was the, what was the appeal to buying so much paper? I have no idea. Yeah. I think it was the fact... When I was a kid. Something. It was the only thing I could afford. So I remember I bid it on a bunch of different stuff. And I never got any of it. But I got this. And this was more of the fact that I wanted to buy something at the auction just like Dad did. Uh-huh. So it, it wasn't necessarily what you came home with. It's that you came home with something. Right. Right. I think that was more of the appeal. Well, I used it. I mean, I've been... I, I've always liked to create. I've liked to write since I was a kid. I like to draw. Um, I, I used to... Uh, when we were little kids... All of us used to have our own little leagues in baseball and football. Mm -hmm. I remember one time I did a newspaper for everybody's little animal tell me all their stories in their leagues. And I did all this newspaper, community sport newspaper thing. And I hand out copies to people. I did that for uh, a couple summers, so it was pretty, it was pretty good. I used the paper for that. Creative. How old were you? Oh, six, seven, eight. Six, seven, eight-year-old, something like that. That's pretty hot stuff for a six-year-old kid. Oh, it's fun, yeah. Yeah, as soon as I learned to write. Oh, well, I had to be at least sick to write. Because I wrote all the articles for it. And then I would get, like, I'd go through the old Sports Illustrated and cut out pictures and put, put, put them in there, kind of, you know, stuff like that. Uh -huh. So the interview with Bill, it reminded me of something that I did as a, like a 10 or 11 year old. Uh, and I found one of these the other day. He's talking about how he would sit in his uh, room and do his little stories. Uh-huh. Like, like he did his own radio show. Well, I would do the same thing, but I would do like sports casting. And one of the things I used to do as a, a kid, and I would take a baseball team. I remember it was the Seattle Mariners, so they were so bad. And I put all my friends on the team, instead of the real Mariners, and I'd play a whole season with this dice game I had and play a baseball game, one game a day, just like they do in the pros. But I would announce the game. And I'd have FM, I'd have FM static there for the crowd. Wow. Just like the crowd. And I would have all these commercials, like every three innings, I would put commercials in. My gosh. At the end of the game, I would even call up friends and do post-game interviews. And they would all play along with me. Yeah, I love this. It was pretty cool. And I'm glad I say some of that stuff, because I'm into genealogy, and now with today's media, you can, you can put uh, everything together, like on a computer. Hmm? So I can, I can add some of that kind of stuff. 
Yeah, I, I, I came across one the other day, one of those games. I, was, I thought it was pretty cool. They did put it all on the cassette, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm just never going to get over that squirrel. <laughs> I'm just... <laughs> well, the very first thing I saw, actually. Yeah, after that, Dad, I had all this stuff hanging around. I went, well, you know what? That poor squirrel was a first all around. It was your first gift. It was your first sale. It was, oh, my goodness. Yeah, it was one of them. The other thing I'll never forget, I don't forget how good the guy was about it, too, was my dad had this bar. No, it was one of the first things I saw on eBay. And it was a, it looked like a set of encyclopedias. Uh-huh. It looked like a little wooden bookcase that had like six encyclopedias in it. But you push on it, and it sw the, the, the books were false, so and they swung around this little bar. Had a little decanter and like five shot glasses. It was pretty nice. And I sold that on eBay for like 75 bucks. And it arrived all smashed all the hell. Oh, dear. Yeah. Yeah, they were good about it, though. They, not, they asked for the money back. Um, so that was, they understood, you know, kind of thing. Uh, it was the same thing with a old, old uh, cash register. That's why I do the, that's why I did eBay is Dad bought all this stuff when he was in the garage sale business. Uh-huh. And I've got a barn out there just full of tre I mean, I'm talking treasures. I don't know if you've ever seen that show, uh, Pickers. Oh, yes, I've just seen it recently. They would love my house. They, they could spend a week here. Would you consider parting with that stuff? Uh, I'm trying. I'm doing it, but I'm doing it on eBay where I get more money for it. The squirrel is still looking for his family. Yeah, well, you know, he's probably got another one. Somewhere. They were actually using them to, to crack nuts with because my mom never did. You may have mentioned this, but my brain isn't coughing it up. How much did you get for it? Oh, the squirrel? Uh huh. More than I paid for it. Uh, I don't remember. What did I get for it? God, it was so long ago. I don't remember. I want to say like fifty-five dollars. That's a pretty good price. I would have paid like fourteen ninety-five for it or something. That's a very expensive price. When did you buy it? It was expensive back then. It took almost all my money. Nineteen seventy, seventy-one. That's a lot of money. And I bought it out of a wish book. That I miss. That is probably one of my favorite memories as a child. Is the day the wish book we got the wish book. What is a wish book? Oh, Sears and Robot? Christmas catalog every year? Yeah. Oh no, you you never saw a Sears and Robot Christmas catalog? I must have. Oh, it was tradition. It, I mean we li I live for that every year. So that was when that was when they would give them away. They would send them to people. It, it now you got to buy the damn things, I guess. Um, it wasn't like you, you sat down with a book, like a, a notebook, and, and you wrote out all of your wishes. You went through the catalog and said, I wish I had this, I wish I had that, I wish... Oh, yeah. I got it. Okay. I spent right. hours looking at that thing. Hours upon hours. 
Oh, that was my, that was my favorite. One of my favorite members was was, and and most of the stuff we got, mom got out of the workbook. She she ordered it through uh, through Sears. Wow. I see most of the Christmas happened. Yep. Wow. So yeah, yeah, those were. I can remember that. Um. See, back then you had to amuse yourself. There was no computers and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. That's what Michael was talking about earlier tonight. The kinds of things that <laughs> they did not only to entertain themselves, but they made their own entertainment. And it sounds like you did too. Yes, I can remember. Well, when I got out of college, I can remember how huge like men's softball was in the area. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a league here in town. You know, Proctor had two two full leagues. Uh, Rutland, which was the biggest, the city's nearest, had like four divisions of men, four divisions of women. Middlebury, which was the same distance the other direction, had two divisions of men and a, and a co-ed and a, and, a, and a women's. Bristol had a league. There was a traveling league. These were all within spinning distance of my house. You're talking... You know, 60, 65 men's and women's co-ed softball teams. Now you're lucky to find there's like one league in the area. Because, you know, kids, they, they don't, yeah. you know, they don't play. Yeah. yeah they, they play in front of their computers now. Um, you know, go to McDonald's and get fat and come home, sit in front of the computer and play video games. Or Twitter or whatever it is they do. I'm not a Twitter. I'm not a Facebook person. Uh-uh. No tweets, no Twitters. Uh, I never learned how to tweet or Twitter. Although I heard it's a good way to self-promote yourself. I'm not starting a blog. I have heard that, I have heard that as well, but I truly have enough distractions in my life to keep me from doing the things that I'm supposed to be doing. I don't need to add to them. <laughs> I hear that. Oh, my goodness. And I'm so easily distracted. I'm like a tumbleweed going through my days. So, no, I, I am not a tweeter. I don't do Facebook. Facebook has more privacy issues than Google, for goodness sakes. I do do Facebook, but I don't post to it. I, I don't know why I started it. I did it to find classmates. Uh-huh. And it worked. Find some. Um, but now, like, I'll post, I'll post in the basketball season. People want to know how my team is doing, so I'll, I'll put that up. Uh, but I don't really do a lot with it. I, I'd like, like I said, I'd like to start a blog, though, because I'm really angry at the American public right now. I'm public? Yeah. I'm part of that. Yeah, I know you are. And, and, and I'm like, I'm like, uh, well, the guy who said, hey, 911 there. Uh, what's his name? Then, what the heck was his name? You talking about uh, Ray Bradbury? No. Director of Fahrenheit. He did the one on uh, The Second Iraq. Was his first. Moore? Are you talking about Michael Moore? Michael Moore. Um, I like what he said, you know. He, he I'm still refused to give up on the American people. I'm hanging on to him by a thread, but when I look at just the way the world's set up and the, and the, and the things that we just let, let our leaders get away with. Well, don't call them on it anymore. I tell you what, that's one of the joys 
of having old-time radio is that you can run away from home without having to run away from home. Well, that's true. Yep. It, it really I remember uh, we had a Democrat president once that, well, some big corporation guy refused to pay his war taxes. It, it was Roosevelt that did it. I don't remember who the, who the, the corporate leader was, but basically he didn't do anything worse than these these companies, what they're doing today. And Roosevelt set the damn National Guard and arrested them. I remember seeing a picture on that somewhere. We, we have a lot in our history that we could talk about. But the fun thing is that we've got a Saturday night where we don't have to talk about it. Well, that's true, I guess. But I'm going to start a blog. <laughs> Go start a blog. And start a blog. I'm going to complain. To get people up there to read it. <laughs> but as soon as I figure out how to do it, I have no clue. Oh. I have no clue. We're on a learning curve here. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm still, uh, I still like writing on a typewriter. Well, I still like using a yellow pad, you know, the legal size pads. I do my journal that way. When I, hmm? I write, I write my personal journal by hand. Yeah, uh, it, when, I'm, when I'm writing something that really takes a lot of thought, I'll do it in longhand. I, I'm able to think a lot better in longhand. I think because it's slower. That's interesting, okay. Yeah. Now, you write a lot of, you don't write a lot of dialogue, right? You write a lot of nonfiction? Nonfiction, correct. Okay. Um, that's one of my things. But anyway, well, I wanted to ask you questions, but I didn't know what they were. And I wanted to say hi. Do you like, a, hi. Do you like one of those real questions? Oh, you can try. I'll try. Oh, you're good at this. You can do this. I'm not. You give me easy questions. Now, I asked, I asked people this one last week, and nobody got it. Who was Mort Toops in Fibber, McGee, and Molly? I have no idea, but I can guess with the best of them. Hang on. Is <laughs> uh, either the dentist or the mortician? Oh, there wasn't a mortician in, in Fibber, McGee, and Molly. Oh, well, who knows? Mort Toops. Mort Toops. Like... Mort, what? What was the last name? Mort Toops. T as in Thomas. O-O-P-S. Toops. Oh, uh, the local grocer. Nope. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Walden, you know the answer, right? I sure do. Okay, well, we're just going to keep moving on then. Let's see here. Two. Um, all right, give me, I think somebody answered this last week, maybe not. The complete name of the show, Nick Carter. No idea. Oh, dear Fred. It's probably a detective show, I know that. Heavens to Betsy, and I, I knew we had that one. Um, hey, a bad piece, hey, horrible. Walton will help me know whether or not somebody actually got the answer to this one last week. Um, in Sugar McGee and Molly, what was Oli's last name? Did somebody actually get that last week, or did I have to pass on? You had a pass, and you didn't give out to Nick Carter. That's the first one. First oh, one. it is? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, no, no idea. Oh, 
you don't know who Oli's last name? No. Oh, goodness gracious. All right. Who were Marjorie and Leroy? Oh, they were uh, niece and uncle. Uh, niece and uncle. No, they were not the niece and uncle. No, they were the nephew and niece. Yeah. Yeah, the other guy. The other dude. Yeah. Yeah. Who was the other dude? And it was all the women. Uh, Gold, Golden Sleeve or. Golden Sleeve. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. You're close enough. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! I I can't see. I'm <laughs> just laughing so hard tonight. Okay. Um, I think I'm going to give up, and that was close enough. It's Gildersleeve. Gildersleeve, okay. That one. Yes, I, knew, I would have gotten that. I would have gotten that. Well, you would have gotten it. Oh, you are out <laughs> of work. All right, what can I send you? Well, you better send me something with more troops in it. <laughs> um, I, I could probably find one, but... I don't know who the hell he is. Well, you don't have to. I'm not going to tell you either, because... Somebody else will be able to call in, and I'll stump them, too. <laughs> well, well, with more troops and Ollie in it together. Say that again, please? With more troops and Ollie in the same show? No. Oh. Well, I mean, they, they were both on Fibber McGee and Molly, but they're not the same person. Oh, there's 77 episodes that oh. they're both in. They were sprinkled throughout the whole. Okay. Sprinkled out. I'm this mom and he thought it was just the, the greatest thing in the world <laughs> you can find it on ebay folks <laughs> oh gosh okay you have to help us here oh. <laughs> we have oh, questions wow well i don't think <laughs> i don't think you're expecting that answer tonight for that question patricia If you have a, you got a gift that you can top that one, uh, Patricia, I love to hear it. 714-545-2071. Fred, keep calling, pal. You got, you, you make our night every time you call. <laughs> that, that was the old time winner. It wasn't the, wasn't the gift, it was the disposition. <laughs> oh, dear. Okay, we have three questions, but before. Well, I'll give the three questions, and then I have to go to the Fibber McGee and Molly show because I did not give the questions related to that show. Yeah, none of them dealt with squirrels, so that's why. We, we got hung up in the squirrel yeah. nest, right? Yeah. Okay, first question was, what was the best gift you ever gave, which is what got us into this trouble to begin with. <laughs> And the third is, what was the 
radio show you ever heard on collecting bad radio shows. 714-545-2071. You know, it had to be good when Juan had to wipe away the tears from his eyes. <laughs> I'm sitting here with tissues. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, enough, enough, enough. Uh, I am laughed out. We have done our exercise. No treadmill necessary. <laughs> good. Oh, my goodness. So, oh. you, you want to give out the three Fibber questions? That is what I am at right now. Oh, okay, right. we had wallpapering the living room from June 11, 1940. Mm-hmm. Fibber and Molly went to an auction. Good old Horatio K. Boomer did his thing and picked up on little words and nuances and took them as biz and grabbed them. And he said, going once, going twice, that's two times the amount. Going three times, that's three times the amount. Sold. First question was, how much did Fibber pay for the wallpaper? Second question, when he got the wallpaper home and he was going to wallpaper the living room, what did he need to borrow from Gildersleeve? And the third one, really a stretch, folks. What grade did Teeny say she was in? 714-545-2071. How much did Fibber pay for the wallpaper? What did he borrow from Gildersleeve? And what grade did Teeny say she was in? That was a great Teeny on this show. She was so good. Do we know Teeny's last name? No. Okay. I never found one for That's what I mean. I just was thinking about oh, that. I know, but, well, oh, uh, oh, oh, pick me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Wave, wave. Yeah, see my hand up? Yeah. Okay, you picked on me? I sure do. Oh, good. Okay. I was organizing or trying to organize and cross-reference all of my Fibber shows this week. Right. Because over time, I have found extra ones, and when my computer crashed last year. Right. I mean, I get an awful lot. I've got computers. My poor little baby, she's here. So mm-hmm. last year it crashed. I lost some of my iTunes. Not a lot, but some of them. So I know that. So I cross-referenced and built up, and I had more than what was on my original list, and there was some on the original list that I needed to load and all that kind of stuff. Well, what is in the pile but the 1935 Halloween show that you were talking about? Wow. So now we have three Halloween wow. shows. But you were right. It was a 1935 Halloween show. I don't remember that at all. But that's true. That's oh. oh, but um, that's the one that you told me. And I thought, you know, I went back and I said, mm, I couldn't find it. Wow. I could find this one and one from, I think it was 1954. But there it was. You know, it's amazing how our questions keep growing, growing, growing. Oh, my goodness. Um, I know that this is a little off, but I've got more than 700. I know that I have more than 700 for the McGee and Molly shows. Isn't that something, Patricia? It's just incredible. Yeah. And for people who check in with the auction, I have reproduced every Fibber McGee and Molly show I own, and that is in one of the sets. And that's a valuable collection. It is. That's it is. And there are some in here that are at least for a while going to be impossible to find anywhere else, and Lum and Abner was one of them. Uh, so I got a whole set of Lum and Abner's reproduced, and there's something like, oh, goodness gracious, I can tell you how many shows are in there. It's a big oh. whoppy. It's over a thousand, I think. 
yes. Yeah. I'm 18 now. That was Halloween at Gildersleeve. And the Halloween party, the Halloween party from mm-hmm. October 28, 1935. And that, wow. I think, is the one that you were talking about. I know. I talked about the one in 39. I didn't realize the one in 35. That's new. That's, that's amazing. And then there was one, let me see, it was trick-or-treating. Let me see, trick. Um, trick-or-treating with Teeny from October 30th, 1953. Mm. So there are three. There are three shows, so that, that is pretty cool. And I was going to tell you how many Lum and Abner shows I have. Hold on. Lum and Abner, which you're not going to find anywhere. I've got... Lemon Abner on two DVDs. That's how many shows there are. And we have, on one DVD, we have 689 shows. And on the second DVD, we have 919 shows. So that's over 1,500 shows there. So we're talking 1,600 shows. That's amazing. And if you check in on the auction, you'll have an opportunity to get your hands on a set of Lum and Abner. And as far as I know, I've got all of the shows that have been located so far, mm. as far as I know. <laughs> Somebody's <laughs> going to be able to come up and say, oh, I've got one from 1947 that isn't on your list. But out of 1,600 shows, that's pretty cool. Absolutely. Yeah. So... And the same with Gildersleeve. We've got a whole bunch of Gildersleeves. <clears throat> so, anybody who likes Agatha Christie, Agatha Christie Mysteries with Hercule Poirot and okay. Marple and all sorts of other things. I've got loads of Agatha Christie's, and I even pulled enough for... Um, I'm looking at, I did something wrong here on my list. <laughs> um, I've, I've pulled together 65 complete mystery shows. So that's pretty cool stuff. 714-545-2071. We're going over Patricia's goodies for the auction. Just remind everybody the auction's not too far away. It's 15 days away. And you still have time to help out if you can. And it doesn't have to be very, very big. It could be very nominal. Just, just, just helping out would be appreciated. It doesn't have to be very big. It could be just a couple of dollars. You know, make a CD and put that in the mail. It's just the act of giving, which would, mm-hmm. which was so important right now. And you know, we're so close to Christmas. By the time the auction comes off, because it's after Thanksgiving, and we're so close to Christmas. But if you have some special Christmas shows, some Christmas narrations, Christmas music, something that you can reproduce and put on a CD, that I go nuts for Christmas music. So anybody who's got Christmas music, please, please put it in the uh, in the auction. If you could uh, burn a disc, that would be super. And you know, if you're looking for stocking stuffings for the family or something, spend a couple of dollars on yesterday's USA auction. There should be some nice stuffings, stocking stuffers here. Mm-hmm. You know, a couple of CDs here and there would, yep. would be a great way to help the station and take care of those and to help Santa Claus out. Yep. Which we, which we could use. Yep. Hello there, you're on with Patricia. Hey, Patricia, I thought I'd call and see if I could cheer you all up. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Chris. You're so considerate, Nolan. Oh, 
I hate to see you go through the night with a glum, glum sound. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh, you know, when you start and you can't stop, it's just all over, you know? Like laughing in church, isn't it? Yes, yes, yes. And they, did you ever see the um, a Mary Tyler Moore rerun when she was at a funeral with, I think it was Chuckles the Clown who died? Yes. And she was the one who lost at the office and had to go to the funeral? You remember the rhyme? No. A little song, a little dance, a little seltzer down your pants. <laughs> Is that what set her off? Yeah, that was it, I think. And Chuckles used to say that. And she was going to try to quote him. <laughs> but it sounds... It's and lost it right there. And she did, and you know she was trying to hide it, and people thought she was wailing and crying, and she was holding on to her sides and couldn't stop laughing, and it was a good uh, scene. We've all been there. Yes, we we just were. Now you've been initiated. You cracked up on the air, which is even funnier. Jeez. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, we 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 kind of lost it there. So how are you? I'm, I'm well. I'm doing, you know what? I, I was going to listen to your interview with Bill and I fell asleep and woke up after it was over. I was so disappointed. So we're all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed for us? I'm sorry? You're, you're all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed for us. Yeah, I, I have a little something for you. Oh, oh, good, good. Have either one of you heard a small radio station before? A community radio station or a mom-and-pop radio station? No. No, that's it. Do you know they exist? We heard, I've heard such a thing. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Patricia, you have to? Uh, I know, yeah. Even in New York? or? Um, or no, I, I don't think I have ever heard one. Last one here in the L.A. market, they, they sold a little mom-and-pop station. Guess what? The, guess how much it sold for? I don't know. A cool 30 million bucks. Are you serious? Yeah. Oh, man, I keep saying, every week you come up with something, I say we're in the wrong business. KIEV was a small mom-and-pop station. They finally sold it to a network for 30 million bucks. That's amazing. We used well, to I, have... I have an example of one that uh, the Statler brothers did. They oh. had a, a group called, a little side group that, besides what they did, which is really a great musical career, but they had something called Lester Moran and the Road Hog. <laughs>
Now for your Saturday morning listening pleasure, WEAK presents another week's program. Lester Moran, the old road hog, and his Cadillac cowboys. <laughs> I noticed that, or I saw them. I, I always have liked the music. I never knew. <laughs> I could, I could hear the Sattler Brothers in there. I mean, yeah. it's clear that they were the Sattler Brothers. But good. Had, uh, I didn't know that they had gone off, and I didn't know that they did offbeat stuff like that. They used to do it as part of the show, and yeah. it, uh, when they traveled around, they got so many requests for it, it was about to overpower the show. So they had to stop because everybody wanted to hear them do that. It got out of control because it, that wasn't, you know, what they were there for. No, no. Oh, no. Oh, my gosh. But this is a little rare recording that got, got kept, saved. Kept Anybody saved. that's been in the business knows that. Yeah. 
got to start somewhere, and, and uh, I for, sure did start. First song I ever heard them do nationally when somebody was loving you. That was a big hit oh, for them. Yes. Oh. oh, yes. That was a big hit. All of their songs were big hits. Yeah. They didn't. Nostalgia things they did, like, um, oh, Class of 57 or something like that. And whatever happened to Randolph Scott? There you yeah. go. Yeah. That's good with him. Other ones would be. Counting flowers on the wall. Mm-hmm. Very good. Um, e- eating Captain, eating and Captain Crunch. When Susan. Uh, yeah, that's the one I was trying to think of. And, uh, Su- Susan, when she cried. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. From a New York girl, you're pretty good with your country music there. I know it. <laughs> uh, what is that other one called? The nostalgia thing. The, he names all those things. Saturday morning cereal. Yeah, a uh, Saturday morning cowboy or something like. That. Uh, I don't know. Uh huh. Yeah, it's another good one. Very good. Another good one. Nice. Well, that's all I have. I didn't want to break you up and get you laughing again because we may not have any. <laughs> I know. You know, we we were dragging everybody down so far. I'm really glad you called in. Oh dear. Oh no. And I I just I don't lose it very often, but. You know, when you sell your emotions on eBay, that one really got me. That was great, though. And I didn't even know what the punchline was. I was laughing. But I did hear it after you repeated it. It was funny. You know, I told him, I said, you know, people sue for emotional losses. You sold yours on eBay. Oh, my. Oh, my. So you are doing well? Doing great. Thank you. Good. I I am just about finished putting together, I have to stop, I mean, I'm having such a good time looking for awful shows. Did you hear me talk about the awful shows? Yeah, in fact, you sent me an example. I think I told you I was having computer problems. I can't open it. I don't know which one I sent you. I know you got some Zorros. Yeah, that was was great in the beginning. We got Zorro and we got uh, Jack Webb's first radio program, Uh which I think is among the worst, which really is is terrible. But uh, he came so far the other way, we can forgive him for that. I, I know, but, it, oh, my gosh, it was just so bad. It was good, you know, um, with Slim Slade. Can you say that three times? No, I don't dare to. <laughs> I'm having trouble saying it once. But uh, I've got Tony Wan's scrapbook and the pineapple picador. <laughs> <laughs> I swear, honest to goodness. And we have one. A soap opera called Nora, Nona from Nowhere. Oh. Isn't that good? And and then we've got, um, this is, oh, this is Nora Drake. Yeah. The person who refuses to acknowledge that she's in love with the doctor who's leaving his wife because, <laughs> good stuff, good stuff. So, and so this is going to be on one big bad CD? Uh-huh. Oh. Actually, it's, it's. It's too much. It's one big bad DVD. <laughs> the, the worst, the, and some never got to the air. Did or some of them pilot? Oh, did all of them, them go on the air? All of, them, all of them got to the air. Oh gosh. I know. And have to air out the studio. I did. <laughs> they had to open the windows after some of these. <laughs> you are quite correct. Huh. But, uh, some some of them are are really bad. I I chopped off. I say I chopped off. There are. Some on the disc, and I'm going to be sending it to you, but there are some on the disc that I actually snipped shows from because there's 
no reason to put you through that much pain 88 times. So you've got a sample of like five or six I should have marked, and I will. I guess I'll, I'll go back and I'll mark the ones that I have more shows for if you want some more awful ones. But <laughs> Some of the titles are just worth list, listing the titles, funny enough. I know. <laughs> I mean, Nona from Nowhere? <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good one. And Romance of the Ranchos? That's a good one. Pineapple Picador. And the, and the Pineapple Picador, yes. <laughs> yes. Is this good or what? Well, I'll get out of the way. Let's see. Uh, folks call that want to answer your Deborah McGee questions. I can't answer any of them. You can't? No, I don't think I've heard the whole show. I've been in and out of consciousness here for a while for some reason. <laughs> okay. Well, you're forgiven. Okay. All right. Thanks for calling, Nolan, and thanks for the, um, what? The education. Yeah. That's it. For the memories. For the memories. <laughs> Thanks for the memories. Uh, See you soon. All right, Noah. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 714-545-2071. Tony Warren Scrapbook. He was a very popular radio personality back in the early days of radio. Walden, have you heard him? I think I've heard clips, like, a minute, uh, 30 seconds or something. Okay, well, I've only got two shows. Yeah. I can only find two, and I will email them to Mostly, he, female was intrigued by him. In fact, he, it be, his show was so popular, Patricia, books came out with his, with his poem, poetry and everything. You must be, Josh. No. This guy's delivery has all the zip I know. of... Yesterday's whipped cream. It's, it, Dunning writes a great article about it in, on the air about him. It was good or not good? It was different. <laughs> okay. It was different. In other words, he was popular for his time, and that was it, basically. I don't I don't get it. I don't get it. I mean, he has a, I'll, I'll listen to... The two shows all the way through. Sure. And then I will give you my official. Uh, I could only get through about six minutes of each one. Well, yeah, poetry is very popular radio. Um, I didn't even get to the poetry. He I know. Talking. Talking, but I think his books were popular. I thought the poetry base. Um, be interesting to see what you think of Moon River. Have you heard any of Moon River? No, only the Andy Williams version. I know, but there was an actual show that was on for 25 to 30 years on WLW, and it came on midnight. It was very popular, organ and poetry. I can deal with that. Yeah. I could deal with that. Yeah. The person who read the poetry had to be able to have more inflection than a piece of paper. Had to, but I think more people uh, love the music talents. People like Doris Day and uh, great talent like that did the, the, did the uh, vocal backups. It would you know, it'd be the organ, poetry, and then it would have somebody singing a song in between the poetry. Interesting it, concept. I, I could live with that. Yeah. I'm having a, a hard time living with Tony here, though. Uh, you listen to it, and you tell me what you think after okay. you listen to it. Okay. And I will do the same. Okay. I had some history notes. Gosh darn. I dug up some history. Oh, what the squirrel? Let me 
me see here. Uh, trivia, no. If you have a squirrel and you'd like to donate to the Yesterday USA <laughs> auction, especially with the ones that roam out on eBay. We don't need any nuts. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Well, one of one of the notes that I grabbed, I wonder if it's here somewhere in my notes. I don't think so. Um, it, it was like the, the good things that happened on this particular day type stuff. Uh-huh. And one of the things was that... Well, one, one hand, Jim Jordan would have been 124 three days from now. Who would have been? Jim Jordan. Oh, his birthday is coming up? Yeah, November the uh, 16th, yeah, so... Well, one of the things that I dug up, and heaven only knows where I put it, but... One of the things for this date is that the first pineapple product was exported from Hawaii. Oh, wow. But it doesn't say who did it. Probably Dole. That's the major plant I, over I there. I think so. Yeah. But you never know. Uh-uh. So let me see if I can find my notes. Pineapple. How many pineapples? Pine bubbles. Show up. In the moonlight. Pineapple Picador showed up. That's right. No, see, I do have pineapple. So you keep keep talking. Like to see the world to sell. Well, there it is. It was in my notes. Okay, hey, so let me, let me give the um, Fibber McGee and Molly questions again. And okay. And then I will tell you what happened on this day, which was a very slow day in history. Mm. Very slow day. So... Uh, you know, I'm just not organized here tonight. It's done good. It's just the squirrel got in the way. Uh, the squirrel got in the way. I couldn't see is what the problem was. Yes, the squirrel got in the way. Okay. Wallpapering the living room. Fibber and Molly came home with a truckload of wallpaper. How much did they pay for the wallpaper at the auction? What did Fibber want to borrow from Gildersleeve? And what grade is Tiny in in this story? How about teeny? Tiny. Did I say tiny? Uh-huh. Teeny. 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 Yeah. Teeny. Teeny. It's teeny in. Are those two words stuck together? And I read them so wrong. Teeny in. Teeny. teeny. Oh, my goodness. How could I do that to my poor little teeny? I know. Teeny is tiny. What grade did teeny say she was in? 714 And, if I have counted correctly, as of, oh yeah, it's after midnight in California, too. So we have 41 days to Christmas. Hooray! Good old, and the, but then, you know, if we get there, well, then you have to start waiting for next year. That's okay, then I can look forward for another 364 more days. Yeah, you're always looking forward. I okay. am. In 1895, it says... In, in 1895, the first shipment of canned pineapple from Hawaii went out. I didn't know we had canned products back then. I didn't know it either. <laughs> That's what it says. Wow. And it's on the Internet, so it must be true. Mm -hmm. Right? I did yeah, find absolutely. it in a couple of different places, but that sometimes means that one site copied from another. It doesn't necessarily mean the different source. Right. Okay, and in 1946... 
I want you to listen carefully to this because it's repeated in several places. Are you listening? I am all use. Okay, the first artificial snow was produced from a natural cloud. Oh, that's interesting. Hello? So, how did they do that? Well, I want to know how a natural cloud can produce artificial snow. That's what I mean. How did they do that? Oh, no. <laughs> I think they were probably cloud seeding. I don't know. It doesn't say. It just says in Mount Greylock, Massachusetts, the first artificial snow was produced from a natural cloud. Beats me. Uh-huh. You can't make a snowball out of a cloud. If they did, it's a great way to try to figure out how, how they did it. Yep. If somebody knows how you can make artificial snow from a real cloud, I need to know about it. This is good. This is very good. So maybe next week I will repeat the recipe for doing up your windows for the holidays with artificial snow. Uh-huh. I think that was, a, that was a pretty good recipe. It was a very good recipe. Especially considering what I thought was pretty amazing. You could, you, could get a, you could wipe it off. Yeah. Yeah, that was really nice. Just with water. It's a mm -hmm. water-based thing. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that, that was really cool. Mm -hmm. And it didn't cost you anything. Well, you had to buy glue, but that was all. Because that, that spray stuff is really pricey. And... Yes. The auction results for the Bride of Frankenstein poster... Oh, is it done? They weren't posted, so... If you just keep talking, it was supposed to have mm -hmm. been auctioned off by Saturday night. The There's a poster um, for it, and they called it a teaser. It was in advance of the movie. They weren't advertising the movie. Um, it had a question, uh, who will be the Bride of Frankenstein, or who will Frankenstein choose? It, it, it was a question. But it's a very rare poster, Bride of Frankenstein. Um, and it, it's really quite colorful. It's all done in red with um, a couple of green question marks. And, they, you know, it's really, really well done. It's a fabulous piece of art. But it's just a regular type poster, you know, like two feet by three feet or, you know, not a, not a big deal. And it was expected to bring more than $700,000. But it hadn't come through yet. Let's see, Frankenstein. Right. Half that would still be pretty nice. I beg your pardon? Half that would still be pretty nice. Half of that. No, it's <laughs> still not posted here. It's, uh, they're still talking about one says 700,000, the other one says 900,000. Uh, this one says 95,000. I don't know. They're all over the place. But it has not, uh, let's see, oh, it's high bid. Uh, that's from October 19th. They were taking bids over the internet. It's um, the, Heritage Auctions is what is the company that was uh, auctioning it off, and it is listed as the third largest auction house in the country. The first and second are Christie's and Sotheby's. I'm not sure which is which. Probably Christie's is first. Um, and Heritage, I had never heard of, and you didn't hear of it either. It's uh -uh. In Beverly Hills. That's new on me. It's out in the uh, Los Angeles area, and they take bids by by mail by fax, over the internet, and on the floor. And the floor bidding is the final bidding. So they'll, they'll stop uh, internet bids at a particular time, they'll stop the phone and fax bids at a particular time, and then the floor bid is the final. Whatever the top 
bid is, whether it comes in live or it's been on the Internet and they've authorized or authenticated your bid. Um, that's when it is. Now, the Internet closed down Saturday, sometime during the day Saturday, and the floor auction was supposed to be Saturday night. But I don't see anything up here. I guess they can reserve the right to extend it, yes? Well, it's their product, their money, so I think they could probably create their own rules if they wanted to. Boy, for a, a piece like this, wow. <laughs> uh, it, it just it just blows me away. Just blows me away. Yeah. So anyway, I've been watching, and they even gave, it, it says, uh, auction results immediately available at a particular website address, and it wasn't there either. Let me try, try this. So I'm thinking maybe they had extended the auction to a later date. And it says, um, post auction bond location. Take four months to pay. <laughs> oh, this is good. Now, when I was here earlier today, it said internet bidding for this item is closed. Jump to the lot number. Oh gosh, I didn't write down the lot number. Well, let's see. It looks like everything is closed now on this one. And you have to sign in in order to get to some of these pieces of information. So we're just going to have to wait for the news tomorrow and find out how much this poster sold for. A piece of paper. A piece of paper with ink on it. Just amazing. Good good return on investment. I, I mean, it's such a fragile yeah. investment. Yep. Not, I mean, you could put it behind glass and hang it on your wall. I right. Guess. But still, it's well, just Fragile. think think of all the arts of work that people pay big bucks for. Uh-huh. I guess you have to look at it that way. Well, indeed. I mean, it is a piece of artwork, yeah. and it's rare, and those yeah. are the two things that, yeah. that really set it off. And, of course, the Frankenstein movies have become classics. I mean, you and I were talking about that, that they were probably mm -hmm. B-movies when they first came out. Right. And, I mean, they really were. You know, The Mummy and Frankenstein and... Bella Lugosi's. Uh, yeah, it was not gone with the wind with Clark no, Gable. No, it wasn't. It no. was not, and that was my example. It was yeah. not gone with the wind, that's yeah. for sure. Yeah. But my goodness, the staying power. More people would recognize Frankenstein than Gone with the Wind today. That's true. And that was the staying power. That's so. true. I don't know. Uh, there were there were some newspaper articles questioning, and this was like more than a year ago. Mm -hmm. Um, somebody had sued the auction place, the auction house, for um, alleging, anyway, I don't know how the case finally came out, but the allegation was that they shilled, meaning they bid against themselves to up the bids on some of the items. And the company said that's absolutely not true. So I don't know how the case came out, but in some circles in some environments, that's how the prices get jacked up and the value or the perceived value gets to be so high. Um, and it's an, it's an artificial inflation like our 
housing bubble. Well, actually, you know, it's done in the stock market. There's a general call uh, market specialists on the floor who do that. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's not a very nice thing to do. And if they get caught, they're not going to have a good time True. either. True. But they, they got to fight in the stock market because they, te- they keep it liquidity possible. Uh-huh. But, you know. Yeah, I know. It's, you know. It's massaging the numbers. Oh, yeah. And wrenching them around. So anyway, last week we had the witch's hat that went for $207,000, and this week we're going to have a movie poster that should be the witch's hat. The witch's hat was from Margaret Hamilton's role in Wizard of Oz, and it was the hat used for a single scene when she said, I'm melting, and the witch kind of went down into a puddle. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I guess they had many hats that, she wore at different times in different scenes, but this one was from the melting scene, and it went for $207,000 for a witch's hat. Now, that's got more substance than a piece of paper, which, you know, it doesn't... Sure. <laughs> I remember um, one of the guys who bought one of the baseballs, you know, when they had the home run contest, paid a million dollars, and basically he used it as a, as a marketing tool. That way he had the ball, and then he was able to take it on the road to different places, you know, as exhibit tours. So I guess you can justify it that way. Well, you know, it's easier to pack a baseball than it is a movie poster. Uh Uh-huh. I I just, you know, it's the fragility of it. Yeah. And, of course, but in 1935, the paper that they used did not have an acid base, which is what causes the deterioration Mm -hmm. in paper products today. So when you go back to a 1920 or a 1930 newspaper, it does not crumble like a 1940 or a 1950 newspaper would crumble. Um, So using that kind of paper stock, it probably has um, a much longer lifespan than what you would traditionally find in in a more modern or, you know, more current. Now, you know, they talk about about film. Um, some of the films that were shot in the 30s, 40s, yeah. and 50s are in better shape than they, the stock that they used for Jaws, for example, which they're already having trouble with. The stuff they did in the 70s. Are you serious? That was in the 1970s, yeah. wasn't it? Correct. That's yeah. not very far away. No, and they're having trouble with those types of film compared compar- compar- to the stuff shot earlier. So you just never know. Nope. You just never know. Well, I can't wait to find out how much this poster went for. Well, my word. I'll be happy to split to split the 10% commission with you. <laughs> I would be happy to pick up the pocket change <laughs> and fill out of people's pockets while they were roaming the floor yeah. looking at some of these yeah. priceless. I mean, that's moving into the priceless range. Yeah. What's going to happen in another 50 years with that poster? If it's worth... $900,000 or $700,000 now, where will it be in 50 years, do you think? Uh, a million eight to, uh, to 2.5. Um, you know, they say, the one theory is, you know, collectible items actually go up in value during hard times. This is true. You know, I don't know. I've never done a study on that, but it's an interesting theory. Well, nobody can afford it. No. So that makes it more valuable. I guess so. 
but you would think people who have money during a good time will be actually be able to drive these types of things up. Mm-hmm. Um, because they're considered more commodities, you know, tangible items, like sort of, sort of like gold. You know, gold in a lot of ways, I often amaze how much gold goes up and down versus, versus you know, what people pay for it. Yep, most of it is up on gold. Yeah, right now it is. And it's been climbing for a lot of years. Yep. Yeah. But for over uh, 30 years, you lost 70% of your money, though, if you, if you mm-hmm. bought it. But, oh well. Mm-hmm. Now you're getting your run, your, your run for your money now. We talked about that one night as well. Yeah. That people, there's a school of thought that says if you buy gold, you're always secure because gold will always be valuable. Right. It's your paper money. And my question then becomes, does gold taste any better than bread off the shelf? Because that's what you're going to wind up eating. So it's just such a, you know, even, I, I think even... In early, early times, when they paid for things with seashells and pebbles, mm-hmm. there probably was a very complex economic system that we will never know about. No. I'm serious about that. Well, I, they, you know, to talk about uh, people intelligent, you know, we just assume that we are more sophisticated today than they were thousands, you know, a thousand years ago. Complex yeah, here. you're right. You know, we don't know that for sure. Nope. I mean, when you, when you, when you consider um, Socrates and Plato, mm-hmm. I mean, let's go, folks. You know, we're <laughs> talking thousands of years ago, and their thoughts, their writings, and their teachings are still with us. Right. How can we claim that we are more sophisticated than something that survived? Or what? Or look at the amazing the value we put on literature. Mm-hmm. William Shakespeare. I mean, we we still study his plays today. Mm-hmm. Uh, we still look at Dickens. And Chaucer. Yes. And George Eliot. Yes. Um, you're right. Yeah. You're right. We we put a value on they, that. They weren't prehistoric though, by any means. Right. about William Shakespeare yeah. and one of the contemporaries, one of his contemporaries was Christopher Marlowe, mm. who was, in my opinion, and apparently a lot of other people's opinion, was a, a, a writer with superior talents to William Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. And we never hear about Christopher Marlowe. I had never heard of him until you mentioned it to me. See? Nobody knows about Christopher Marlowe. That's true. And he was, in my estimation, far superior in his writing abilities. I and his depth of writing than uh, William Shakespeare. He just didn't have a good PR person, that's all. <laughs> well, he died on a barroom floor. That doesn't <laughs> help, you know. <laughs> he really did. Yeah. But, um, and, and he was a contemporary of William Shakespeare. So it's not like we're comparing one era to another. Right. And right. So we, we learn about William. He, of course, had the body of work. He didn't die when he was 28. Not too far away, though. Well, I was just thinking, think of famous songs. 
I mean, we still think we still know Stephen Foster songs. Mm-hmm. Irving Berlin songs are gonna probably be part of our American culture forever. Yep. Yeah, the group. 